Like for example, if we're gonna have certain clothing that's let's say mushtarak, it's accepted by everybody and it's not particular to any one religion. At least if you're gonna wear that clothing, wear it differently to the way they wear it. Like if you can't go against them in the asal, go against them at least in the wasf. And if you can't go against them in that I'm never gonna wear this clothing that they wear, and the clothing is not haram and it's not a resemblance of them in their religion to begin with, at least wear it differently to them. And from this is when you see some of the ulama, like for example, if they'll wear, they'll wear something and they'll wear like their hat along with it. Because one, whatever I can do to be different from these people. He said Umar, then that Umar wrote these conditions upon the Christians so that everybody knows who they are. So every single person knows who they are. And that's why Sheikh Muthaymeen brings a, a benefit with regard to when the Muslims are weak. He said, when the Muslims are strong, what's the first thing that we do? We tell the non-Muslims to be different from us. Fa'idah he brought. When Muslims are in a position of strength, we command the non-Muslims to be different from us. You are not allowed <coughs> to wear our clothes. You're not allowed to talk the way we talk. You're not allowed to have the same names that we have. You're not allowed to call yourself with the names that resemble the names of the Muslims so that everybody knows that you're not a Muslim. When the Muslims are weak, what's our first thing? We change. And we now distance ourselves from them. If the Muslims are mustada'afeen, extremely weak, here it may be that they're forced in certain limited aspects to resemble the disbelievers in order to save themselves from a punishment or something like that. Like for example, if they fear, let's say, being harmed or whatever it might be. For that makes it upon three maratib. When the Muslims are in a state of strength, we demand them to change. When the Muslims are in a state of less than that, we change even if they won't change. And when the Muslims are oppressed, then they may have to keep, there may be certain things that they are unable to, they are unable to avoid. In that, Shaykh al-Islam, and he mentioned, he said يعني, that it may be, uh, it may be obligatory for us to be similar to them in certain outward things if there is a maslaha for that in Islam. Why is that? What's the, like from what is the evidence? After we heard all that evidence against it, how can we bring evidence for that? So there's a principle, Shaykh Muthaymin mentions it and it's very beneficial. This principle says that the things that are prohibited in Islam are prohibited for one of two reasons. They're either prohibited in of themselves Like zina, any zina is in itself, and it's prohibited by itself. Riba, and so on, and it's prohibited in itself. And there are some things that are prohibited because of what they lead to. And the prohibition is because of what will happen as a consequence. And what will happen as a consequence to that? For example, let's talk about free mixing. Why is, for example, 
if there's a sister in the room, now what, the, what's the problem in? What's the issue that is haram in it? The issue is what might happen next. In those situations, it is possible to allow a minimal amount for a maslaha that is proven within Islam and a haja, which is provable, a provable need within Islam. Not because you just feel like it, but there's a provable need. So here, if there's a provable need in something which is from the outward similarities, not the inward. As for the things which is kufr, no, this is haram in of itself. Does that make sense? And the things which are kufr, the things which are fisk, they are haram in of themselves. They are like riba, like zina, you cannot copy them in it. But for example, if you wear the clothing that they wear, the what's haram about this is that tomorrow you'll take their aqidah and you'll take their akhlaq and you'll all of that. So can we therefore allow the issue of the clothing or something like that if the Muslims fear for themselves that they will be hurt because of it? Yeah, we can. But can we allow them, the woman, to take off her hijab? <coughs> then we can't. If inshallah ta'ala the issue becomes clear the angle that Shaykh al-Islam is coming from here that it may be that for example a person let's just say he's usually wearing this kind of cap and he takes off his cap and he just he appears like them for a, a need that is there that is a provable need to the extent of that need he doesn't wear the Christian cross and, the, and he, to the extent of the need only but we understood this only applies to what? it can only apply to al-hadi al-zahir the apparent things that, that are like clothing and the way you, way you wear your hair and whatever. It cannot apply to the beliefs and the, yani the muharramat that they did because those things are haram in of themselves. Like you can't allow zina because someone has a need for it. Sahih. You can't allow riba because someone has a need for it. Because those things are haram in of themselves. But you can allow men and women to go to the same shop because and here the issue is that there's hardship yani. to say that this, this shop is only for men and no women can come inside and the shop is only for women and no men can come inside and for that is in many cases there's hardship in it does that mean you just let them go in sit together have a chat together share phone number with each other no to the extent of the need any go with full covering be separate from each other but you can go in the shop together because there's and like that is the tawaf around it the Kaaba. Any points like that, inshallah. Jimmy. Uh, Sheikh Nadeemin brought another point which I highlighted for you. He said, Do we tell the non Muslims to change in a situation where that change would cause us a fitna? So he said, for example, what Umar mentioned. Yani that we say, for, for example, if we now say to the kafir women that you're not allowed to wear hijab. It's ma'roof in that time, the slave girl, she's not allowed to wear the hijab of the, of the, the Muslim woman, in the free woman. And likewise, the kafir, she's not allowed to dress up like, <coughs> like the Muslim woman because we keep them separate. Like if it becomes a fitna, he said, today, Shaykh Nathimeen said, today it would be a fitna. In those days, Allah, things were, it was not a fitna for the people. The people had no... And subhanAllah, when Islam is in a position of strength, 
people's opinion changes. Now, and if we say to the non-Muslim women that you know, just, you're not allowed to dress, you're not allowed to cover up like the Muslim women cover up, this would be a fitna. He said, And if in this case, he mentioned that in this case, this takes precedence over that particular, and this takes precedence over that particular issue. He said, وَمِن جُمْلَةِ الشُّرُوطِ مَا يَعُودُ بِإِخْفَاءِ مُنْكَرَاتِ دِينِهِمْ وَتَرْكِ إِظْهَارِهَا كَمَنْعِهِمْ مِنْ إِظْهَارِ الْخَمْرِ وَالنَّاقُوسِ وَالنِّيرَانِ وَالْأَعْيَادِ وَنَحْوِ ذَلِكِ From the conditions we put upon the non-Muslims that was put upon by Umar and by the Sahaba is that we do not allow them to show the evil from their religion. We don't allow them to يعني, show themselves, like for example, the issue of the bells, the issue of the fire, the issues of their Eid days. They're not allowed to celebrate any of them. They're not allowed to have a Christmas tree. And the ajib thing, now the Muslims bring the Christmas tree into the malls and the houses. يعني. The Christians were not allowed to have a Christmas tree. You're not allowed, not in your house, not in, on display anywhere. No, what, nowhere can there be on display anything from your day of Eid. وَمِنْهَا مَا يَعُودُ بِإِخْفَاءِ شِعَارِ دِينِهِمْ كَأَصْوَاتِهِمْ بِكِتَابِهِمْ And from the conditions are those things which came back to not allowing them to demonstrate the symbols of their religion. Meaning they're not allowed to read their book out loud. No one's allowed to hear their book being read. They're not allowed to read their book out loud. وَمِنْهَا مَا يَعُودُ بِتَرْكِ إِكْرَامِهِمْ وَإِلْزَامِهِمْ الصَّغَارِ الَّذِي شَرَعُهُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى And from these conditions are those which mean we're not allowed to honor them. We're not allowed to venerate them. They have to feel belittled in those countries. So they have to move from out of the way when we walk down the road. They have to step aside. We don't step aside for them. When we come to the place of and if we want to sit down, they have to move and give you the seat. Look at how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lowered them. What does that do? How much pressure does that put for people to look at Islam and accept Islam? Until today, despite the masaib in many Muslim countries, until today, this still has an effect upon people. In the sense that in a Muslim country where Islam is strong, even relatively, even if the country has what it has, but relatively strong, wallah, you will see the non-Muslims in it, they want to become Muslim. Because they see what the Muslims have and they want it. And they feel what they, they feel that they are not part of that. So you see people want to accept Islam. Whereas in the countries where they're all equal, no, there's no pressure for them to accept Islam. There's no desire for them. There's no benefit. And there's nothing in it, in a worldly sense, that makes them wake up to look at it in terms of the Akhirah. All of that is the first reason the Shaykh gives for Ijma'ah. Al-Wajhu al-Thani min Dalai Ijma'ah. Anna hadhi al-Qa'ida qad amara biha ghayru wahidin min al-Sahabati wal-Tabi'een fi awqatin mutafarriqa wa qadaya muta'addida wa antasharat wa lam yunkirha munkirun. 
He said that this principle was commanded by more than one of the Sahaba and the Tabi'een in different times, in different issues, in different rulings, and it spread out and nobody criticized it. So this issue of any belittling and differing from the non-Muslims and making, forcing them to be different from us is an issue that was so widespread. It came in the time of Abu Bakr. It came in the time of Umar. It came in the time of... It came in the time of the Sahaba. It came in the time of the Imams of Islam, in the times of the Madahib Fiqhiyya. And nobody put their hand up and said, Ikhwani, this is wrong. We're doing dhulm to these people. But it became an issue of, it became an issue of ijma'ah. That's the second point that the Sheikh makes. And from Umar ibn al-Khattab, that he wrote to the Muslims that were going to Persia, that were, that were fighting in the battles of Persia. إِيَّاكُمْ shirk. Keep away from any of the clothing of the people of shirk. In any of the clothing. And from the statement of Umar that he said, he said, wear the izar, the, wear the, 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 the clothing that you wrap around your waist, and wear the rida that you wear on top, and wear sandals, and wear leather socks, and wear the sarawil, the sirwal. And then he mentioned, and he said, وَعَلَيْكُمْ In some of them he mentions different wordings about it, but he calls it الْمَعَدِّيَّ uh, Something like that. الْمَعَدِّيَّ Something like that. He calls it. And to be like, in some of them he said تَمَعَدَدُ He said تَمَعَدَدُ be like the Arabs of old. And he be like the Arabs of old. Leave away, he said, Daru ajam. He said, leave any kind of luxurious living and be far away from what the non-Muslims wear. And he told them to wear the izar, the rida. He told them not to resemble their clothing of the non-Muslims. And he, he didn't even let them wear the same shoes. Tama'adadu, yani from Ma'ad ibn Adnan. And he be like the Arabs of old. And leave off living a luxury, like a luxurious life like these people live, and the clothing of the non-Muslims. So the point is these narrations that came, they didn't just come from Umar, they came from numerous people. They came from Persia, they came about the Christians, they came about the Jews, they came, and they kept on being passed through time, and people didn't have an objection to them. 
So this is the second angle from which, or this is one of the angles from which we can claim that there is consensus. Al-Wajhu Thalith, the Sheikh mentions. ما ذكره عامة علماء الإسلام من المتقدمين والأئمة المتبوعين وأصحابهم في تعليل النهي عن أشياء بمخالفة الكفار أو مخالفة النصارى أو مخالفة العاجم وهو أكثر مما من وهو أكثر من أن يمكن استقصاؤه. The Sheikh here he says. If you look in the books of fiqh and the imams of the madhahib, you will see that they come to many issues of fiqh and say, the reason this is not allowed is it resembles the Yahud. The reason this is not allowed is that it resembles the Nasara. So this is the third angle from which we can say that this issue of ijma' has been, has been established. For example, the issue of dyeing the beard. The issue of dyeing the beard. When Imam Ahmed came to the issue of dyeing the beard, he said, وَلَا تَشَبَّهَ بِالْيَهُودِ He was talking about his view on dyeing the beard. So that you don't resemble the Yahud. And that shows these statements that come from, and he brings them from the Malikiyah, from the Hanafiyah, from the Hanabili, from all the Madahib, that they continuously came to issues and said, the reason this issue is haram is because it resembles the Yahud, because it resembles the Christians. Here, Sheikh Nathaymin brings a point. He said, if a particular type of clothing that used to be for the foreigners and the non-Muslims becomes now spread among everyone. Do we say that it's still disliked? Or do we say yani, that the issue has swapped around? Yani, the issue that, for example, Imam Malik mentions. And he said, from this is wearing trousers. He said for wearing trousers in many of the Islamic uh, countries, no one does it except the non-Muslims. Or we say in many of the Islamic countries, everyone does it. In which case we don't say it's from the clothing of the Majus or the Mushrikeen because it became Mushtarakan. And this is going to be an important ruling we're going to bear in mind later when something becomes shared among everyone and it is no longer associated with the non-Muslims at all. He said, in this case, we don't say it's from the clothing of the non-Muslims, but we don't say it's the clothing of the non-Muslims in the country where it became used by everyone. As for the country where it's still considered to be something that only the non-Muslims wear, it has the same ruling. It has the same ruling. So here, any, a person should not have, for example, libas, a shuhra, wearing the clothing that makes them stand out among the people. In a country where, for example, everyone wears 
let's say trousers then it doesn't matter if, if Imam Malik or if a great Imam said that this is from the clothing of the non-Muslims in that country it became used by everybody and it's nothing to do with the non-Muslims it's completely neutral between everybody for this in this situation in that country we don't say that it is something from the clothing of the non-Muslims but if you can wear it differently to them then that's what you should do for example, even the trousers, yani your trousers will be above your ankles. Now recently they started wearing their trousers above their ankles for a while and then they started deciding they don't like them above their ankles. And, but like if you can wear it differently to them, for that is, that's what's required from you bi ta'ala. The Shaykh mentions many other wujub, but we're gonna, we, we just, we're gonna run out of time in terms of bringing them all inshallah ta'ala. So it would be good if we were to skip that point. Or like not to skip it, but we've mentioned a lot of points on it, inshallah ta'ala, that this is a matter which it does have consensus in it among any among the scholars of Islam. I brought the benefit in the middle of something that the Sheikh mentioned. And uh, Wallahi I thought there's a point of resembling the non-Muslims that a lot of people might not pay attention to. The Sheikh brings it from a hadith that I didn't think he would bring it from. Lekin it's there in the hadith. He brought it from the hadith of the Prophet in which he said, Ya Fatima, Ya Fatima tu binta Muhammad, la ughni anki min Allahi shay'a, Ya Abbas, amma Rasulillah, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam La ughni anka min Allahi shay'a Ya Safiyyatu Ammata Rasulillah La ughni anki min Allahi shay'a Saluni min mali ma shi'tum He goes through his family and he says Oh Fatima, I can't do anything for you in front of Allah Oh Abbas, I won't be able to do anything for you in front of Allah Oh Safiya, my auntie, I can't do anything for you in front of Allah Ask me whatever of my money you want, I'll give you all the money I have. But I can't help you against Allah in anything. He said, He said, in this it contains that the people who come from that lineage any people who are from the family of the Prophet ﷺ, don't be deceived by your lineage. And he brings a faida for Ahlul Bayt. If you're from Ahlul Bayt, don't let your lineage deceive you. Then he brings another benefit. Hating the Arabs or hating or showing enmity to the Arabs as a whole is kufr. Or it is a cause for kufr. And the reason I brought this is, wallahi, this exists among the Muslims today. And this is from which group? Which group was famous for this? Which religion was famous for this? We put the Shia as muntasibin. And we can say that they are the ones who attribute themselves to Islam. Like, and who did the Shia take it from? Al-Yahud. The Yahud are known for Bughdul Arab. They hate the Arabs. They hate the Arabs. Not about Palestine. Yani they, they, they in themselves religiously hate the Arabs. Hating the Arabs is kufr, ikhwani. And we see this still from many people. 
whatever different places they're from, a lot in the Indian subcontinent, where people have hatred for the Arabs as a whole. When you have hatred for the Arabs as a whole, who are you hating? You're hating the Prophet ﷺ, the majority of the Sahaba. This is kufr. So don't allow people. Sahih, we are not saying the Arabs are being Arab makes you from the people of Jannah. And the person whose deeds slow them down, their lineage will not speed them up. We're not saying that just being from those people makes you from the people of Jannah. But you cannot have hatred towards these people. Because at the end of the day, where did your religion come from? And it didn't come from Bani Israel. It didn't come from India. It didn't come from Africa. It came from the Arabian Peninsula, from the, from the Arabian tribes. So it's not allowed for a person. And we so much, I've mentioned this, I highlighted it because I have personally seen it. Miraran, not once, not twice, multiple times. That people will speak badly of these Arabs, if you know what. The, who are you talking about? Who was your prophet? Was he Indian? Your prophet was an Arab. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. La yajuz hadha hadha kufr, ikhwani. This is disbelief. Or it's a cause of disbelief. For it's very, I know people don't mean it like that. They mean I've had a bad relationship with some people who came here and they didn't. Sahih. But don't use that terminology. Wallah, it's worse than racism because now it's not just racism, it's racism that affects the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. So be careful about that issue because it came from, it came from the Yahud. And the Yahud wanted because they, they, they wanted the Prophet to be from them. Lakin Allah gives his prophethood to whoever he wills. Then the Shaykh, he said, and we're on to page 308. This is a very important part. Page 308. So he said, we've now mentioned evidences from the Quran, evidences from the Sunnah, evidences from Ijma'ah. And we've mentioned Athar. Actually, I didn't bring the Athar like he mentioned from the Malik, the Hanafis, the Malikis, the Shafis, all the agreements that they had on it. That which indicates that resembling the non-Muslims overall is prohibited. And that going against them in their behavior is legislated for us. Either it's wajib or either it's recommended depending on the situation. So he told it could be wajib and it could be recommended. He said, and we've mentioned the proof that what Allah commanded us to be different from them, it doesn't matter whether the person intended to resemble them or didn't intend it. This is the point I wanted you to highlight and underline. It doesn't matter if you intended to resemble them or not. Because some people might say, okay, if I'm intending to be the same as them, 
this is where we fell into the issue. If I'm intending to be the same as them. But as long as I'm not intending to be the same as them, no, the Sharia didn't look at whether you're intending to be the same as them or not. It's whether it ha did it happen or not. Hal hasalat al Did this muwafaqa come or it didn't come? وَكَذَلِكَ مَا نَهَا عَنْهُ مِنْ مُشَابَهَتِهِمْ يَعُمُّ مَا إِذَا قُصِدَتْ مُشَابَهَتُهُمْ أَمْ لَمْ تُقْصَدْ Doesn't matter whether it was intended, yani the prohibition, it doesn't matter whether you in, a person intended it or didn't intend it. فَإِنَّ عَامَّةَ هَذِي الْأَعْمَالِ لَمْ يَكُنِ الْمُسْلِمُونَ يَقْصِدُونَ الْمُشَابَهَةَ فِيهَا he said the majority of these situations, the Muslims did not intend that we brought all the Dalil for. The Muslims did not intend to copy them. And then he says, and he said, وَفِيهَا مَا لَا يُتَصَوَّرُ قَصْتُ الْمُتَشَابِهِ الْمُشَابَهَ فِيهِ And there are things that you could not imagine anyone would want to copy them in. Like growing the mustache. He mentions that. Like growing the mustache. And like nobody actually believes people grew their mustache because they wanted to be like Persians. Like in today, La Wallah, today, like Sheikh Munadameen said, Ma akthara, that someone cuts his hair to look like a kafir or you know, wants to cut his beard to look like a kafir or wants to grow his mustache to look like a kafir. This is a lot today. Sheikh Al Islam said, I cannot imagine ever anybody would want to grow their moustache to look like a kafir. They just grew it because they wanted it grown and then they didn't realize that they resembled the kuffar like that. But I can't imagine a situation where anybody would grow a moustache to look like a kafir. Now, hadith wala haraj, you guys can see it everywhere. People look at these, put these people's pictures on the wall. Wallah, I don't know what Shaykh al-Islam would say if he imagined that these peoples, we put pictures of these people, yani, any Muslims, like posters of these people, we keep it on our phones. You look at this with my idol, Allah Mustaan. And this is the person I wish to emulate and look up to, and I memorized all their names, and I know where they came. Allah Mustaan. He said, Understand that their deeds come in three categories. This is very important, same page. قِسْمٌ مَشْرُوعٌ فِي دِينِنَا مَعَ قَوْنِهِ كَانَ مَشْرُوعًا لَهُمْ أَوْ لَا يُعْلَمُ أَنَّهُ كَانَ مَشْرُوعًا مَشْرُوعًا لَهُمْ لَكِنَّهُمْ يَفْعَلُونَهُ الآن. The first category is something that they are doing today which is legislated in our religion. Maybe it was legislated for them before and maybe it wasn't. What do we mean by maybe it was, maybe it wasn't? And maybe it was legislated for them before, and thereupon, any hour, the Quran continued what they were on before. Or they've started copying it from the Muslims. And they've actually copied it from the Muslims and they do it today, even though it was not in their book. That's the first category. Then a type that was permitted and the Qur'an abrogated it. The legislation of the Qur'an. So for example, the issue of 
فَخْلَأْنَا عَلَيْكَ إِنَّكَ بِالْوَادِ الْمُقَدَّسِ تُوَى Take your shoes off, you're in the sacred valley of Tuwa. And it was abrogated. وَقِسْمٌ لَمْ يَكُنْ مَشْرُوعًا بِحَالٍ وَإِنَّمَا هُمْ أَحْدَثُوا And a type that is, has nothing any, it is, it was never legislated for them, they invented it. It's from the bid'ah that they invented. So what's the first type? It's in our sharia. The second type, it was in their sharia, but the Qur'an, it was abrogated by the Qur'an or by the sunnah. The third type is from the things that they invented. from the things that they invented. He said, وَهَذِهِ الْأَقْسَامُ الثَّلَاثَةِ إِمَّا أَن تَكُونَ فِي الْعِبَادَاتِ الْمَحْضَةِ وَإِمَّا أَن تَكُونَ فِي الْعَادَاتِ الْمَحْضَةِ وَهِيَ الْآدَابِ وَإِمَّا أَن تَجْمَعَ الْعِبَادَاتِ وَالْعَادَاتِ فَهَذِهِ تِسْعَةُ أَقْسَامِ He said then, these three, these three things that we spoke about, either they are in pure acts of worship, so what does that mean? A pure act of worship, which is legislated for us, a pure act of worship which has been abrogated, and a pure act of worship which they invented. Khalas? Three? Or a pure custom, as in akhlaq and manners and whatever, in etiquettes. We're not talking about the ibadat aspect, we're just talking about etiquettes, like the way you sit, the way you eat or whatever. Etiquettes, right? Either those etiquettes are still allowed in our religion, or they've been abrogated, or they were invented by those people. That makes six. Or in the things which are a combination between ibadat and adat. This can be related to things like akhlaq. Any things that are, they're an ibadah from one side, and they're a, they're a custom from the other side. And again, it could be allowed for us, or abrogated, or it could be from the things they invented. So listen to what the Sheikh said. He said, أَمَّا الْقِسْمُ الْأَوَّلِ فَهُنَا تَقَعُ الْمُخَالَفَةُ فِي صِفَةِ ذَلِكَ الْعَمَلِ Did you think the first type we were going to agree with them in? The first type, we have to be different in the way we do it. Like the, the origin of prayer, right? They had to pray and we had to pray. They had to fast and we had to fast. But we don't pray the way they pray and we don't fast the way that they fast. They fasted Ashura, we fast Ashura and one day before it and one day after it. Al-Qismu thani Ma kana mashru'an thumma nusikha bil kulliyah like the Sabbath, it was, it was Allah decreed the Sabbath upon the Jews, but now it's been completely abrogated. He said, It is, is clear that you are not permitted to follow them in that. And you're not allowed to, for example, anything they, that they don't, they don't do. For example, on the Sabbath, 
they're not allowed to, yani, for example, drive the car on the Sabbath. You are not allowed to prevent yourself driving a car on a Saturday. You can't. Even though, even though it's something that Allah decreed upon them because it was abrogated in our religion. There's a mas'ala. <coughs> I wanted to look into Allah, I didn't have time to research it, it's been in my mind. We should research it, we may make a note to research it later. Are you allowed to help them to disobey Allah with regard to the Sabbath? The Sabbath. And if one of them says to you, can you drive me in the car? And you knowing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forbade them from it. How they any looking at the issue of what can you do or not? Because these people, they have a habit of doing that, by the way. And they look for people who are not Jewish and then tell them to, you can just switch the light on for me. No, switch the light on for you. Why am I going to, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told you not to do it, like and it needs research. And what are you, because you know it's abrogated, do you go with what is abrogated? Like you know that this is abrogated now. So it, I can switch the light on. Like in, or do you say that because these people were prohibited from it, don't help them, don't help them too. I need to do something which is not permitted for them. But that requires some research. The third type. The things they invented. He said, This is the worst thing you can copy them in. This is the worst. Is that now you are copying them in something that you know they were never permitted to do in the first place. They were never ever permitted to do in the first place. So is it clear the ruling of each one? The main thing is the first one is where people get confused. They think that because it was allowed for them and allowed for us that we do the same thing. No, here we have to do it a different way to them. <clears throat> even in the clothing, even in the adat, Sheikh doesn't make a difference. In the habits, in the etiquettes, the same thing. If it's allowed for us in Islam and it was allowed for them, we should find a way that we in Islam do it differently to the way that they did it. Of course, we still have the general principle which says what is legislated by Islam and by Allah, by the Prophet and what the Prophet brought, you don't go against it. Like when, they, like when the Sahaba said, shall we not be intimate with them? And the Prophet said, his face changed. That when you have a ruling in Islam, no, you don't. Now it doesn't matter about, we're not, we're not looking at muwafaqat ahl kitab. But where there is an option to do things differently, even in their adat, even in the way they eat. Look at them, and what do they do? They hold their fork in their left hand and their knife in their right hand. Oh Allah, we don't matter whether we're right hand or left hand, we hold our fork in our right hand. Even in these issues, and we hold the, the fork or the spoon in the right hand, so that we don't resemble them. If they have a way they put the cutlery, we don't put our cutlery like that. Even if it's permissible for us to use it. We try to differ from them in the way that they, in the way that they do things. Look at what the Yahud said about the Prophet This man will not leave a single thing we did except he wants to be different. We now come to a chapter, page 312, but I think we're going to take a, a small uh, break, inshallah ta'ala. <coughs> so we have a 10-minute break, inshallah ta'ala, until half past five. And we come back. 
we're making good progress through now because there's a lot of points of benefit in the book. Wallahi, the Sheikh speaks extensively about bid'ah and about all the bid'ah that came from them, the bid'ah among the Muslims. But Wallahi, the issue that we have is that for time reasons, I want you to understand the core of the book. Like I want you to understand the whole issue of resembling the non-Muslims. From that issue, once you've understood it, the rest of the book, when you read it, will be very easy. And actually, I think, you know the translation you guys have that was sent out, the Dar Salam one? It's actually better in that regard. It doesn't do a good job at all of capturing the core message of the book. But it actually does a good job of dealing with the issues like bid'ah and things like that. So yeah, maybe from, if you were to read that book after this one, you would have you know, got together quite a lot of benefits, inshallah ta'ala. We used to ask the brothers one thing. Let's not do any questions in the break. Uh, just give the throat a bit of a rest, inshallah ta'ala. Um, but bi-ithnillahi ta'ala, 10 minutes, half past, <coughs> we'll start. We're going to have Q&A later. Is That's why I'm worried about. Questions, wallahi, it's only because I've had a throat infection for the last, like, few months. And wallahi, when it starts to go, it just goes. And you're just going to get silence. <laughs> it's going to be like, need subtitles. So I've been trying to, and I know when we've got three hours plus a Q&A session at the end, it's going to be a little bit... <coughs> One minute for everyone to get sat down. What time is uh, Salat? What's the Adhan for Maghrib? Don't worry about it. When it gets to this time in the conference, I might ask you what time Fajr is. Yeah, what time is... Uh, so there's a break So we're going to continue for one hour Then you guys get a break uh, And then we come back After Isha We're going to try If we can finish now We're going to try to bring Just to the khulasa The summary of the rulings Inshallah What we could do This chapter now Which starts at page 312 Is now where he begins to speak about The ayat, The Eid Now bear in mind That when it comes to the issue of the Eid this is the original reason that Sheikh Rissam spoke about the issue to begin with. Was that he spoke about the issue of celebrating an involvement in the festivals of the non-Muslims. But when some people rejected that and found it strange, like why, why can we not sell them Christmas trees or something like that? And why, like why do we have to be separate from them and why can we not be involved? Then he wrote this book as an, a wider explanation of why this is of this particular issue. So he said, "Ida taqarrara hada al-aslu fi mushabahati al-kuffari fanaqul muwafaqatuhum fi a'yadihim la tajuzu min tariqain." He said, "If we've understood the asal, what's the asal? That the Sharia came." with the principle of being different from the non-Muslims. If we've now understood this, underlined it, tick, we now understand in 300 pages, we have now understood the Quran and the Sunnah and the Ijma' and the Madahib al-Arba' and, and, and all of them came with agreement that we have to be different from the Kuffar in every possible way except for the one thing which is when the Sharia specifically told us to do it that way. 
We've understood this. So now we understand that having any kind of agreement in their Eid is not allowed from two angles. The first, الطريق الأول هو ما تقدم من أن هذا موافقة لأهل الكتاب فيما ليس من ديننا ولا عادة سلفنا Beautiful. The first reason is the first 300 pages, which says what? This Eid is not something from our religion and it's not from the habits and the customs of our Salaf. That's all we need. We don't need anything to prove it other than that. Two simple questions. Did the Quran come with Christmas? No, it did not. Did the Prophet Sunnah come with Christmas? No, it did not. Fine. Second question. Did anyone from the Salaf al-Salih, the great Imams of Islam, celebrate Christmas? No, they did not. Therefore, it falls under the, the asl that the Sheikh has spent 300 pages telling you about and that we've summarized over the last six hours or so. There's only two things that you could ever make an allowance for. If it's present in our Quran or if our early generations from the Sahaba used to do it. Otherwise, there is no way you can go away from إِهْدِنَ الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ صِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ نَعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا الضَّالِينَ New Year. Did the Quran bring New Year? No, it didn't. Did any of the Sahaba celebrate New Year or what do they call the Persian one, Nowruz or whatever they call it? No, nobody celebrated it. Therefore, it goes back to what? It goes back to the asl of غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين. What about birthdays and their celebrating of birthdays? Did the Quran tell you to celebrate your birthday? No. Did any of the Salaf al-Salih celebrate their birthday? Here's a fact: the Prophet we don't even know when he was born. And from the seerah, wallahi, we, we, the scholars differed about when they even differed the month he was born in. It seems to me that Rajah, Wallahu Alam, I believe the stronger view is the 8th of Rabi al Awwal, <coughs> that he was born, not the, not the 12th. The date that he died, everybody knows it. Because this was Adatu Salaf, our Salaf, their Ada was what? They knew exactly when people died. Anyone who died, they knew when they died. But nobody paid attention when anyone was born. He was born in Amal Field, we know that. Like nobody ever paid attention to the date that someone was born. It's not from our Salaf. Not even as a Ada. Don't tell me it's not a religious celebration. It's just a habit. It's not from the habits of our Salaf. Our Salaf never, ever, ever <coughs> paid attention to the days that people were born. Not at all. So that's why from this angle, and that shows you a very powerful answer, when people say Christmas is not a religious festival, New Year's is not a religious festival, it is a secular expression of happiness. Tayyib, I'm with you. I'm with you, I agree. Secular has nothing to do with religion. I can promise you that Isa was not born on the 25th of December. Mostly for the fact that 
<laughs> Rutab don't grow on the 25th of December, that's for sure. But anyways, okay, we could say the Rutab was a miracle and it wasn't. Anyways, in any case, and he wasn't born the 25th of December. That Even the Christians agree on that issue. Yani. He wasn't born on that day. That day was given to them in order to, what did they do? They wanted to follow the Ajim. They wanted to follow the foreigners in their religion, in the Romans, in the religion of the Romans, in their worship of the false gods. So they made the birthday of Isa on the day that the false gods were worshipped by the, by the Romans. That's what they wanted to do. Anyways, it's a secular thing now. People celebrate Christmas. Everybody celebrates Christmas. I mean, Hindus, Sikhs, anything, anybody. Jews, everybody celebrates Christmas. The point is, we don't actually need to prove that it's secular or non-secular. We just need to know, is it in the Quran? No. Did our Salaf do it? No. Therefore, it goes back to the Asr that in every single thing, adat, ibadat, customs, mixtures, celebrations, anything, we are commanded to be different from the non-Muslims. And that's why the Sheikh gave you 300 pages. And we didn't read, we just read parts of it. Like in that gave you now, now. Now the person who comes and says, New Year's, what do you, you have a problem with New Year's? It's, it's just a secular celebration of a new year. Ask Allah to give you a good year. Is it in the Quran? No. Did the Salaf do it? No. Therefore, what's the Asal? غير المغضوبي عليهم Finished. That's only the first answer, by the way. The Sheikh has 500 pages more after that. That's just where you start. He said, this is the first thing. And this is the first point. And then he mentions, by the way, and he said, and he said, فَيَكُونُ فِيهِ مَفْسَدَةُ مُوَافَقَتِهِمْ وَفِي تَرْكِهِ مَصْلَحَةُ when you do it, you're falling into the evil of resembling them. And when you leave it, you're getting the benefit of being different from them. What about if we say that this celebration was not even from them to begin with? Yani it's not like it's it's not even one of their things. It's just they yani they just happen to do it as well. And it doesn't matter. Still, the fact that they do it today, and it's not from our religion, and it's not from the habits of the early generations, then what is required from us is to be different from them. <coughs> because being different from them in itself is something that is desirable. As we've already mentioned. So what about if the two things come together? And what about if you're gonna get not you're gonna get the reward of being different from them and be saved from the evil of resembling them and, and it's not even something that originally came like like what did the Sheikh said? What's Al Akbah? What did he say is the worst of all the worst of following them is following them in something that is not even from their religion to begin with. Like Christmas, Easter, all of these are pagan festivals that they celebrate. So now the question is, what did Sheikh al-Islam say? The worst type of following of Ahl Kitab, the worst of the worst of the worst, is following them in things that are not even from their religion to begin with. Like the pagan festival of Christmas. It's not part of their religion. They invented it. It's their own bid'ah. Yani. It's bid'ah on top of bid'ah. Yani. They brought a bid'ah and then they added a bid'ah on top of it. 
And it's, the, it's their own thing that they invented. So it's the worst kind of copying them. Then the Sheikh said, from the angle also, وَمِن جِهَةٍ أَنَّهُ مِنَ الْبِدَعِ الْمُحْتَثَةِ And he said, there's another angle. There's a second angle. And that is that the action you are now doing in copying them is itself an action of bid'ah. And bid'ah is something which is blamed in this religion in of itself, regardless of whether it resembles the non-Muslims or it doesn't resemble the non-Muslims. <coughs> and he said, there's no doubt that this indicates that it is disliked to resemble them. At the, at the least, there is dislike to resemble them. Rather, much of it indicates that it's forbidden to resemble them in this, like the statement of the Prophet whoever resembles a people, it's one of them. What did the Shaykh say? The minimum you can take from this hadith is that it's haram. The maximum you can take from it is that it is kufr. Then the Sheikh says, what about if we bring, on the second issue, we bring specific evidences that we're not allowed to follow their Eid? Like now we've brought you a Qaeda, general evidence. Sah, we have. He's brought you two general evidences. He's brought you all the evidences of not following the non-Muslims that he's been 300 pages. And he's brought you the issue of Bid'ah, which he does go into in a lot of detail, but we haven't <coughs> gone into it. Now what about if there are specific evidences that tell you not to celebrate their days of Eid? Now we just, you know, the strength is just getting built on top of it now. Because already we had enough. But now we want to give specific evidences that prohibit it. He said, Al-Kitab was-Sunnah wal-Ijma' wal-I'tibar. He said, I'm going to bring you four things. The Quran prohibits it. The Sunnah prohibits it. There is consensus that it's prohibited by all of the scholars of Islam and witnessing what it does to the Muslims is enough to see why it's prohibited. He said, as for the Qur'an, then the statement of Allah Surah Al-Furqan, ayah number 73. Then he brought the scholars of tafsir who said, huwa mushrikeen the meaning of is those people who do not attend the Eid of the Mushrikeen. And he brought it from yani more than one of the scholars of Tafsir Tahak said Eid al Mushrikeen. And he brought it, he brought it from a number of different people. He brought it from Al-Tahak, he brought it from uh, <coughs> He brought it from Al-Rabi' ibn Anas uh, He brought it from Mujahid That Mujahid said A'yadul Mushrikeen So he brought a long list of, of scholars of tafsir All of them said about this ayah That this ayah means A'yadul Mushrikeen and then he goes on to argue from a different angle on the same topic that what about if people said a different view in tafsir? And what about if some of them said al-ghina, it means yani, music. And others said 
يعني for example it means يعني lying and false testimony and so on so what the sheikh does here is he shows you that all of these tafsir are tafsir they are not contradictory to each other and in fact the meaning covers all of them And he, some of them he prefers some over the others, and he mentions some of the linguistic reasons why and he, some views are stronger than others, and, and so on. As for from the Sunnah, in a long discussion he brings from the Quran, as for from the Sunnah, he brings the hadith of Anas ibn Malik, Qadima Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi sallam al قالوا كنا نلعب فيها في الجاهلية فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن الله قد أبدلكم بهما خيرا منهما يوم الأضحى ويوم الفطر When the Prophet came to Medina he found the Ansar set aside two days when they would play He said what are these two days? They said these are two days that we used to play in Jahiliya Now I want you to pay attention to something he didn't say these are two days we used to worship in Jahiliya. Two days we set aside to be holidays, celebration days. <coughs> Nothing to do with worship. Allah has replaced you with two better days. Eid al-Adha and Eid al-Fitr. The Prophet did not allow them to keep these two days of Eid from Jahiliya. Even though it was an Ada and it wasn't and ibadah. So it wasn't an act of worship. And this hadith is very strong in that sense. Because what's the main thing when people mention birthdays and whatever? What do they argue? It's an ada, it's not an ibadah. I don't work, I don't celebrate my birthday as an ibadah for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I celebrate as an ada, it's just a habit. The Ansar celebrated those two days as an ada, it wasn't ibadah for them. There was no ibadah, it's two days we play on it. We just we just play. We took it as days to celebrate and Allah has replaced them with you. Two other days. And he didn't allow them to stay upon and to stay upon those two days that he had. He goes into a lot of details about the wording used by the Prophet and the evidences that I was within it but we'll go on to the next hadith the next hadith al-hadith al-thani is the hadith which the Messenger of Allah said in it with regard to a man it's narrated from Thabit ibn al-Dahak that he said نَذَرَ رَجُلٌ عَلَىٰ عَهْتِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ أَنْ يَنْحَرَ إِبِلًا بِبُوَانَ he said, a man, at the time of the Prophet swore an oath that he would sacrifice his, يعني, he would sacrifice a camel in a place called Buwana. فَأَتَى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ He came to the Prophet and فَقَالْ إِنِّي نَذَرْتُ أَنْ أَنْحَرَ إِبْلًا بِبُوَانَ I made an oath to, to sacrifice this camel in Buwana. فقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم هل كان فيها وثن من أوثان الجاهلية يعبد؟ 
He said, was there ever an idol there in the time of Jahiliyyah? قالوا لا. They said, any of these, uh, any, they said no. So he's asking any, this place that you said you're going to go and slaughter the camel, was there ever before an, an idol there that used to be worshipped? They said no. فَهَلْ كَانَ فِيهَا عِيدٌ مِنْ أَعْيَادِهِمْ Was there any Eid used to be celebrated there? Any Eid. Did they used to go there and celebrate any Eid of theirs in that place? قَالُوا لَا The Prophet said, أَوْفِي بِنَذْرِكِ فَإِنَّهُ لَا وَفَاءَ لِنَذْرٍ فِي مَعْصِيَةِ اللَّهِ وَلَا فِي مَا لَا يَمْلِكُ إِبْنُ آدَمِ he said, fulfill your oath. There is no fulfilling an oath in that which is disobedience to Allah. What's that dalil? That he called their Eid disobedience to Allah. And he didn't ask about whether that Eid was ibadah or Ada or did they have an Eid in that place? Did they gather together in that place on a certain time of year? And he separated between the worship of the idol and between the celebration of the Eid. So he separated between the ibadah and the adah. He asked them about the ibadah. Did they have the idol? No. Did they have any kind of gathering they used to come together there? No. Because if you'd done that, it would have been sinful. <coughs> and then he brings, Yani. He brings another wording. Is there, was there any idol or any, or any Eid? They said no. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and this is in with regard to a different any story. And this is with regard to uh, an oath that a person's mother made. And he said, shall I fulfill the oath on her behalf? He said, was there any idol or any Eid? They said, no. And he told him to fulfill his oath. Or it's a wording of the same narration. Allah. Then he goes on to talk about on page 324 What does the Eid mean? So he said the Eid gathers a number of things He said Eid gathers a number of things The first thing is any day that comes about on a fixed schedule like Eid al-Fitr or the day of Jumu'ah. That's called an Eid, right? An Eid min ada ya'udu. It comes about on a fixed schedule. 14th of February every year. Valentine's Day, 
What do they call in Arabic? Eid al-Hub. Eid. Mother's Day. Who knows what they call it? Eid al-Um. Whatever they call it. I don't know. They call it Yom al-Um or Eid al-Um or whatever. The point is, it comes about on the same day. And after every week, after every year, after every month, whatever it is, it's an Eid. The second is, Ijtima'un fi. Any time when they all gather together. And from it he says, أَعْمَالٌ تَتْبَعُ ذَلِكَ مِنَ الْعِبَادَاتِ أَوِ الْعَادَاتِ This is very important what he said here. This is extremely important. Any action which follows up that aid. This one we need to underline it and highlight it. So the aid is a day that comes about on a fixed schedule. A gathering that takes place on it. So it doesn't matter about Christmas. The Christmas dinner is the, or whatever the people do, is the gathering the people have on it. The gathering is the part of it. And any actions that follow up, give me a little bit of time, inshallah. There any actions that follow that eat. This is important because now we're going to come to the food the people eat on that day. The clothes they wear on that day. Christmas jumpers. I need the clothes they wear with the they wear them with a particular like style on it. These are Amal Eid. Advent calendars. Right? Advent calendar people say, What do you mean? Advent calendar is not Christmas, it's just chocolate. Like and it's an action that follows, that is connected with that Eid. Christmas tree. It's just a tree, right? It's an action that follows that Eid. And it doesn't matter whether that action is an ibadah, like a particular prayer, or whether it's an adah, like we always have turkey. On that day, it's not allowed for a Muslim to eat turkey on the 20, 20 whatever, 26th or 25th or whatever day they do it. They eat turkey on Boxing Day or Christmas Day. It's not allowed for you to eat turkey on that day. Whether you intend it or you don't. Because why? This is from the adat. Which is from the habits, the customs that the non-Muslims have that follow that particular Eid. Even, even if you wanted to say Sunday dinner, even that can fall under it. Because it's, it's a day that comes back every once a week. There's an ijtima they have and they have a particular food on that day when they come together. And we don't have it. We can have Sunday dinner on a Monday, no problem. We can have Sunday dinner on a Saturday. <laughs> Wallah, isn't it sad just out of any one thing that's really sad? Wallah, is that. And we understand why the Muslim countries did it, because it was hard for them to do business and everything. But Wallahi, we used to have a Thursday and a Friday off. You know why the whole Middle East used to have, a lot of the Middle East used to have Thursday and Friday off to be different from? We don't want to. We work on a Saturday, مخالفةً لليهود. We work on a Sunday, مخالفةً مخالفةً النصارى. Be different from the Christians. Like and then it became Friday, Saturday. They said the Christians can. Any <coughs> but we're still gonna take this, like that. The the Saturday, uh, we're gonna take the Saturday off. Why did they say? They they said but they said, well, we we appreciate the being different. But there's a hajjah for us. It's hard for us because what used to happen is if you wanted to like go to the bank, so 
يعني you could go on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday لكن on a Thursday and Friday the, the Muslim side was closed and on a Saturday and Sunday so you could only do business on three days a week so then they moved it لكن it was so nice when we used to have that والله we used to love it I remember in Saudi a Thursday, Friday no يعني subhanallah we used to have those days that and you see we go to work on a Saturday the first day of the week first day back at school first day back at uni was a Saturday and we work on a Sunday for anyways yani, if they have specific days which come around if they have specific gatherings or if they have specific actions that take place even if they are adat clothes they wear on that day food they eat on that day what is obligatory upon us is to be different from them in all of those things. He said, All of these things can be called an Eid. That's why the Prophet said about Yomul Jumu'ah, That the day of Jumu'ah is a day which Allah has made an Eid. So does it come about on a regular basis? Do the Muslims gather together on it? Do we have certain ibadat that's only for that day? Or certain customs that are only for that day? So it became an Eid. The Prophet said, لا تتخذوا قبري عيدا. I want someone to explain this to me in the light of what we've learned. Don't take my grave as an Eid. Oh, let's see, who was first? I think the brother came. Waalaikum. Very good. So you can't go there on a fixed day. Like you can't go there every Monday or every Wednesday. Or That's one thing. What else do you not, are you not allowed to do based on that? Gather all together on it. Yani, like let's all go together and stand by the grave. And what else are you not allowed to do based on that? No, no specific acts of worship except for what is mashru'ah. And we always said anything that is permitted specifically in the Sharia that is permitted, like going to give salam, is mashru'. But no other ibadat can be highlighted there. That I'm going to pray, like the people come to the masjid and they go, I'm going to pray behind the grave, or that I'm going to go there and I'm going to do my dhikr there. It's not allowed. It's not allowed for you to go to the grave and do dhikr of Allah. It's not allowed for you to go to the Prophet's grave, sallallahu and do dhikr of Allah. لا تتخذوا قبري عيدا. Don't take my grave as an Eid. Eid being regular basis, regular fixed schedule, or a place of gathering where everyone gathers all together, or a place of specific ibadat or adat that didn't come in the Sunnah or in the in the يعني, in the Quran or the Sunnah or the actions of the Salaf rahimahumullah Taala. But that's, yani, that's also helps you to understand any of these athar. Yeah, if it's a gift, it's, it's also from their adat, right? Their habits is to give people a gift, a present on that day. Yeah, it comes on the same ruling. We say to people, even though Sheikh Islam is going to talk about, I've highlighted the topic of presence, he talks about it. Yani the issue of, 
of presents on that day. Well, we don't take it away. He said, الوجه الثالث من السنة أن هذا الحديث وغيره قد دل على أنه كان للناس في الجاهلية أعياد يجتمعون فيها ومعلوم أن بمبعث رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم محى الله ذلك عنهم فلم يبقى شيء من ذلك ومعلوم أنه لولا نهيه ومنعه لما ترك الناس تلك الأعياد لأن المقتضي لها قائم من جهة الطبيعة التي تحب ما يصنع ما يصنع في الأعياد خصوصا أعياد الباطل من اللعب واللذات ومن جهة العادة التي ألفت ما يعود من العيد فإن العادة طبيعة ثابتة وإذا كان المقتضي وإذا كان المقتضي قائما قويا فلولا المانع القوي لما درست تلك الأعياد The third point he brings from the sunnah He says this hadith and others are an evidence that people in Jahiliya used to have Eid that they would gather together days of Eid they would gather together upon and it's known that the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, came and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wiped out all of the days of Eid in Jahiliya. All of them. And he said, if it wasn't for the fact that it had been prohibited, the people would not have stopped doing it. Because the Eid is something people like. People enjoy days of Eid, right? That's why we have so many days of uh, celebrations throughout the year. Like if you go and you live in some of these quite you know, multicultural places, Every week they have something going on. Even here now, you see them, now Christmas is finished, New Year is finished, what you're going to see? Easter eggs. Fill in the shops. Yani these guys don't have any, if they could do something, if there's another religion, apart from Islam, they would put stuff for that other religion as well. Diwali, that finished. Then something else has to come now to make another eat. People like, they buy their tabi'ah, people like holidays. Everybody likes holidays, particularly the playing and the enjoyment that they have in these false days of Eid. Have you noticed that even in Islam, our days of Eid are different? Our days of Eid, what are they built upon? They're built upon celebrating what? Celebrating ibadah. And he's celebrating the worship you did. You fasted Ramadan, you celebrate that Allah gave you the success to fast Ramadan. You celebrate that the de- deeds you did in the days of the Hijjah. And it's not, it's not even the basis is not the same. And he, he said, this and he, customs don't go away. And he, people don't leave their customs. And that's a powerful argument. People don't leave their customs unless they are forced. Like, could you imagine? And for the brothers who like biryani, for example. It's, so we'll bring biryani in here, no problem. It's going to be food time soon. Could you imagine a situation where you completely stop eating biryani? Like, this would, the point the Sheikh makes, that if you like something, if it's your custom and your habit, you will not give it up unless someone tells you you have to give it up. Either the Sharia tells you, or either the doctor tells you you will die if you don't stop eating biryani. Then you'll give it up. Otherwise, you, people don't give up the customs that they like. So the fact that all the Muslims gave up all these days of Eid is a proof that they are forbidden in the Sharia. Because otherwise, people don't give up customs. 
People love their customs. They don't give up their customs unless their customs are prohibited in Islam. And since the pressure to celebrate it from the point of desires and customs are strong, because there's two things. You think like customs are not, there's a reason why I give the example of biryani. Because it's not just a custom. It's enjoyable and it's a custom. Now when you have something that people like and it's also the custom of their people, people do not give it up unless they are forced to give it up. And the pressure to give it up has to be extremely strong. Otherwise, some people would have kept doing it and others would have given it up. He said, وَهَذَا يُوجِبُ الْعِلْمَ الْيَقِينِ بِأَنَّ إِمَامَ الْمُتَّقِينَ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ كَانَ يَمْنَعُ أُمَّتَهُ مَنْعًا قَوِيًّا أَنْ الْكُفَّارِ And this shows you certain knowledge that the Imam of the people of Taqwa, the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, stopped his Ummah completely from celebrating anything from the Eid of the Kuffar. And we've already spoken that issue. We've already spoken about the fact that it doesn't matter whether it's an Adah or an Ibadah. It doesn't matter whether it's Mansukh or not. It doesn't matter whether that day is a day. Like some people use that as a justification. They say, look, Christmas is a celebration of Isa. And we believe in Isa. Like, I don't think anybody, any any a person of good intellect would say that. But people said it. But we can even respond to that and say it doesn't matter whether it is mansukh or not. Like we brought the example, take off your shoes. It doesn't matter whether it was originally in their religion or not. It doesn't matter. We oppose all of it. The fourth angle he said from the sunnah. What was brought in the Sahihain from Aisha radiallahu anha. She said, دَخَلَ عَلَيَّ أَبُو بَكَرَ وَعِنْدِي جَارِيَتَانِ مِنْ جَوَارِ الْأَنصَارِ تُغَنِّيَانِ بِمَا تَقَاوَلَتْ بِهِ الْأَنصَارُ يَوْمَ بُعَاثٍ قَالَتْ وَلَيْسَتَا بِمُغَنِّيَتَيْنِ فَقَالَ أَبُو بَكَرَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهِ أبي مزمور الشيطان في بيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وذلك يوم وذلك يوم عيد فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يا أبا بكر إن لك إن لكل قوم عيدا وهذا عيدنا وفي رواية يا أبا بكر إن لكل قوم عيدا وإن عيدنا هذا اليوم وفي الصحيحين أيضا أنه قال دعهما يا أبا بكر فَإِنَّهُمْ فَإِنَّهَا أَيَّامُ عِيدٍ وَتِلْكَ الْأَيَّامُ أَيَّامُ مِنَا was narrated in the Sahihain from Aisha. She said, Abu Bakr came to me and I had two young girls from the young girls of the Ansar. Jariya, she's a little girl. And they were singing what the Ansar would sing on the day of their on a day of Eid, yani, like what they sing on the just they're like nothing, there's nothing wrong in the words they're saying. They were not any yani, they were not singers. Yani, they are they're just saying the words that the like what we, yani, what they say on the day of Eid. Abu Bakr said, 
have you brought the instrument of shaitan into the house of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? That's the day of and this was the day of Eid. The Prophet said, Oh Abu Bakr, every people have an Eid, this is our Eid. In another narration, Oh Abu Bakr, every people have a day of Eid, our Eid is this day. In another narration, leave them Abu Bakr because it's the day of Eid. And these were the days of Mina, yani the days of Eid al-Adha and the days afterwards. He said, min There are a number of, of evidences in this. First, this is our Eid, is ikhtisas. And he tells us that we don't have any other Eid except that. This is our Eid. In this one, an Eid al-Fitr. This is our Eid. And the second one is al-Hasr. That the Prophet limited Eid to what he described. The fact that he said Al-Yawm, Al-Yawm, this specific day is our Eid. This is also from the evidences. And from the hadith of Uqba ibn Amir, that he said Yawmu Arafa wa Yawmu Nahr wa Ayyamu Mina Eiduna Ahl al-Islam wa hiya Ayyamu Aklin wa Shurb. He said the day of Arafa and the day of Eid al-Adha and the days of Mina are the Eid of the people of Islam and they are days of eating and drinking. The fact that he allowed the young girls to hit the duff and, uh, and to sing, telling that this is every people has an Eid and this is our day of Eid. What does that indicate? Forget the two issue of singing. This indicates what? That such actions are not allowed on the Eid of the Kuffar. In other words, if he let those two girls sing on our Eid day, that means they're not allowed to sing on Christmas Day, New Year's Day, Valentine's Day, Diwali. Yeah, they're not allowed to sing on the. If they're, not, if they're only, they allow, leave them Abu Bakr because today is our Eid, meaning they're not allowed to do it on, on their Eid. We'll come from the Walima, inshallah. Issue that's more of an issue of mu- the issue of music. We'll come to that, inshallah, ta'ala. The issue of music. What's important in the issue of music, Shabab, it's very important here, is that if we started with a principle, again, that music is prohibited based on the ayah in Surah Luqman, and, and the statement of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Sahih al-Bukhari, mu'allaqan ta'aliqan, majzuman bihi in Sahih al-Bukhari. Whatever exception there is to the rule, that exception can only be taken to the limit that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi allowed it, right? So he allowed two young girls to sing words that were known by the Ansar that they like celebration of Eid words to celebrate Eid he didn't allow two yani, adult women to sing you can't, you can't like widen the gap yani. if something starts off prohibited you can't like then say okay it can be like 
five adult women. And he, if it was allowed for two young girls, that's, you can't broaden it beyond what the Prophet ﷺ, he knew what the Prophet ﷺ brought. He also brings another point here. Um, Shaykh al-Islam, he said, وَهَذَا فِيهِ دِلَالًا عَلَى النَّهِي عَنِ التَّشَبُّهِ بِهِمْ فِي اللَّاعِبِ وَنَحْوِهِ He also tells we're not allowed to even play the way they play on Eid. And in the way that we celebrate Eid, we're not allowed to celebrate Eid with the way that they celebrate their festivals. Unless there's something which is mushtarak upon everyone, as we've spoken about. He said the fifth point from the Sunnah is that the lands of the Arabs contain Jews and Christians. And he, until Umar cast them out during the time of the khila, his Khilafah. The Yahud in Medina were many in the time of the Prophet And the Prophet had a, a peace treaty with them, a covenant with them, until they broke that covenant. Group after group. And from Bani Qaynuqa'a, Banu Nadir, and Banu Huraira. And they continued to be in Medina. And he had to, even when the Prophet died, his armor was, was in a secured loan from a Yahudi in Medina, a Jewish person in Medina. In Yemen, there were many of them. There were many Christians in Najran. And there were many of the, the Persians in the eastern part of what they call Bahrain. It's not Bahrain today, but Bahrain is the, the eastern part of uh, what is now Saudi Arabia. And that area there was also full of any Persians in that time. وَمِنَ الْمَعْلُومِ أَنَّ هَؤُلَاءِ كَانَتْ لَهُمْ Every one of those people had days of Eid, right? The Jews have Eid day, they have this Purim and all that different stuff, and Hanukkah and all that stuff they have. The Christians had their days of Eid, the Persians had their days of Eid. Yani, what should it, yani, you would expect them to have the way they eat, the way they drink, the, the clothing, the zina, the games they play, and all of the things that you would expect them to have. Yani, the, those, uh, yani, in those uh, days of Eid. He said, Thumma, yani, in, in this, yani, after that, in the Muslims, it, do we have any, any single narration? of those ayad being present among the Muslims? Do we have any, any the, the Medina was full of Yahud. Let not, not one narration we have of celebrations of those days of Eid. Or the Muslims being involved in anything, or them being allowed to even show that day of Eid among the people. They took, he said, فَلَوْلَا أَنَّ الْمُسْلِمِينَ كَانَ دِينُهُمُ الَّذِي تَلَقَّوْهُ عَنْ نَبِيِّهِمْ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ مَنَعَ مِنْ ذَلِكَ وَكَفَّ عَنْهُ لَوَجَبَ أَنْ يُوْجَدْ مِنْ بَعْضِهِمْ فِعْلُ بَعْضِ ذَلِكَ He said if it wasn't for the fact the Prophet ﷺ prohibited the Muslims from this, at least some Muslims would have done something on those days. Like it's not like we just discovered Christmas last week. Any Christians were present in the time of the Prophet ﷺ. Jews were present in Medina in the time of the Prophet ﷺ. They had their days of Eid, their days of celebration. Not one time do we have even a small group of Muslims 
involved in it in any way. And that has to be because of the fact that it was prohibited by the Prophet And then what Umar forced them to do, you're not allowed to show your Eid, you're not allowed to celebrate it publicly, you're not allowed to put any sign on your building, you're not allowed to... The conditions that he put upon them that we heard some of them. Even Shaykh Islam mentions a qawl of the fuqaha, some of the scholars of fiqh. He said, yani, uh, Shaykh Islam says, غَايَةُ مَا كَانَ يُوجَدُ مِنْ بَعْضِ النَّاسِ ذَهَابٌ إِلَيْهِمْ يَوْمَ الْعِيدِ لِلْتَنَزُّهِ بِالنَّظَرِ إِلَى عِيدِهِمْ وَنَحْوِ ذَلِكِ فَنَاهَا عُمَرُ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْ وَغَيْرُهُ مِنَ الصَّحَابَةِ عَنْ ذَلِكِ كَمَا سَنَذْكُرُهُ he said, in the time of Umar, one thing happened. What happened? Some people started to go and look at what they do on their Eid out of interest only. Now we're not talking about didn't take part in it. All they did is they went to their places just to see out of interest what these people do on their day of Eid. And Umar prohibited them from this and the fatwa was given by more than one of the Sahaba that it is prohibited for you to go and look at what these people do on their Eid day. Even to the point that some of the fuqaha, they stopped people from fasting on their Eid day. What's the angle for it? That why are you venerating their day of Eid? Why are you honoring their day? Like, why are you making this a special day? Now here, I've got some advice to the brothers generally, which I've always advised them where possible. Is that if you do have, for example, a shop or something like that, and it's in your ability, try to have it open on Christmas Day, even if it is only for an hour, even if it is just that is... The, like some people said, well, I don't have staff, I don't have customers, but try to try to not to close your shop on that day, because what you're doing is you're venerating, even if you don't mean to, even if you're saying, look, what can I do? There's nobody. There's not even anything over. Even the banking thing, nothing works. Yani everything is closed, but you're still venerating that day. Even I said to one of the brothers, he said, Wallahi, I don't have a single customer. He said, but I could do one thing. I can open my shop and clean it. I said, Ari Bismillah, go and do it. So he opened his shop. He said, the only thing I did all day is I cleaned my shop from top to bottom because there's no customer. He said, nobody came in. But I cleaned my shop from top to bottom. Alhamdulillah, in our masjid, next to our masjid, Alhamdulillah, we start to see every time on Christmas Day we check, we drive down the road, how many shops open. Any of those brothers didn't open their shops, ooh, they're going to get in trouble for me. <laughs> open your shop. What day is that? Is it your day? Is it a day that matters to you? It shouldn't be a day that matters to you. Sahih, there are some things you cannot avoid. Like for example, we often have conferences around that time simply because people just get days off work. I mean, there's like everybody just gets days off work. We're not celebrating anything. We don't care what day it is. I didn't know, Wallahi Azim, that it was New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, the midnight. I, I didn't know till we went out for to get some food and suddenly the sky started exploding. 
So what's that for? It's Diwali's gone, man. Bonfire night's gone. Diwali's gone. Christmas is gone. What are they doing? Oh, wallahi. It's the end of the year. Okay. Don't make those days special. Like they're not special for us. But wallahi, there's something we should do. Make the days of Eid special for our kids. Give them the maximum. Make them celebrate that day. Wallahi, whatever you can do. Make them enjoy themselves. Of course, they do their ibadat. And, but really make Eid special for them. Because if you don't, they won't be able to separate between these, all these ayat. And they will feel something in their heart. Look at my friends on Christmas. All the things they get to do. They tell us about all the food they eat. They tell us about the presents they get. Wallahi, try your best to really make Eid special without resembling the non-Muslims. Don't do what the non-Muslims do on their Eid days. I can still and try to make it Allahumma unless there's something that still is permitted within Islam we have to finish in a minute but I just want to finish one more or two more small points so we can start a new topic uh, also from the sunnah is what is narrated by Abu Hurairah radiallahu an uh, yani which the In what is narrated from Abu Hurairah, I'll read you the shorter any version of the hadith that he brings any in a, a wording. Uh, The issue in the wording, yani, that Adallallahu anil Jumu'ah man kana qablana. Yani, the day of Jumu'ah was lost for the people before us. Yani, fakana li Yahud yomus Sabt. The Jews had Saturday. Wakana li Nasara yomul Ahad. And the Christians had Sunday. Faja Allahu bina fahadana li yomul Jumu'ah. And Allah guided us to yomul Jumu'ah. Faja al Jumu'ata was Sabt wal Ahad. And likewise, on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, they will follow us. We are the last. نَحْنُ الْآخَرُونَ مِنْ أَهْلِ الدُّنْيَا الْأَوَّلُونَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ We're the last of the people in the dunya and the first of the people, Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And we will be judged, يعني, uh, in the first of the people to be judged before, before the people. أو كما قال صلى الله عليه وسلم so this is also from the points that that the sheikh uses any from the evidence and he also uses in that which is narrated from Quraib, the freed slave of Abdullah ibn Abbas uh, he said arsalani ibn Abbas wa nasu min ashabi nabi sallallahu ila ummi salamata radiyallahu anha as'aluha ayyul ayyami kana nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallama akthara siyaman قالت كان يصوم يوم السبت والأحد أكثر ما يصوم الأيام ويقول إنهما يوم عيد للمشركين فأنا أحب أن أخالفهم. And he brought this narration regarding Um Salama that she was asked which days did the Prophet fast the most and it was mentioned the Saturday and the Sunday because these are the days of the Eid of the Mushrikeen. 
And he brings the discussion about the scholars of fiqh and what they said about that particular, in that particular issue. Even they prohibited, and even they prohibited the speaking of the language of the non-Muslims. And they even prohibited the issue of speaking that, like speaking the way the non-Muslims speak, or speaking with the terminology that they use. And this is narrated from Umar, radiyallahu uh, an, and this is also from the points. And the Sheikh brought so many, wallahi, bro. After I'm literally missing out hundreds upon hundreds of any points that I made. As the point Sheikh Nathameen makes here that I just want to read to you and we'll finish with this one point inshallah ta'ala. Uh, he makes it on page uh, 338. He said, إِذَنْ فَهِمْنَا أَنَّهُمْ إِذَا جَلَبُوا فِي الْأَسْوَاقِ أَيَّامَ أَعْيَادِهِمْ أَشْيَاءَ غَيْرَ مُعْتَادَةِ فَلَا بَأْسَ أَنْ نَشْتَرِي مِنْهُمْ لأن هذا لا يعد مشاركة لهم في العيد على أنه عبادة بل على أنه تجارة ولكن هل يجوز لنا أن نجلب لهم مثل ذلك الظاهر أم لا لأن هذه إعانة لهم على باطلهم وأما الشراء من أسواقهم إذا اكتظت بالسلع في يوم العيد فلا بأس به كما نص عليه الإمام أحمد رحمه الله تعالى. he said what if they bring things into the market that are not normal they don't like they bring it in on those days. does that make sense? they bring things in on those days which are not ibadah. we're not talking about they bring things for worship. they bring things that are just but they're not they only bring them at that time of year. Seasonal goods, exactly. Seasonal goods. Are we allowed to buy seasonal goods? The Sheikh said, Sheikh Nadimin says yes, because this is not participating in their Eid in any way. It's got nothing connected to their ibadah or anything like that. Rather, it's just business. They just sell those kind of things at that time. But are we allowed to sell those things to them? Are we allowed to sell them seasonal goods that have nothing to do with ibadah? He says no. He said, no, because you are supporting them upon their falsehood. He said, as for, yani, sometimes you find certain products sold in shops at certain times of year, if it is not connected to their, it's not connected to their Eid, it's just something that they happen to sell more at that time of year, then here he said, there's nothing wrong with it, as Imam Ahmed mentioned. So we mentioned this later in more detail when we talk about the fiqh, the summary of the fiqh of these issues but if somebody avoids it is it better yeah a person can avoid it a person can say I don't want to buy any of that stuff that they bring at that particular time it's, they can they can avoid it inshallah ta'ala uh, connected also I'm just quickly finishing a couple of points uh, connected to that is also that the Arabic language is from the deen and we had mentioned this also and you had mentioned it also that the Arabic language is a part of the religion and that we need to be different from the non-Muslims in that regard. There's more points about the Eid, but I think we've covered the Eid in quite a good number of points here. Uh, we might mention when we come back a couple more points on the Eid, 
There's one point that the Sheikh makes that he says, أَنَّ الْأَعْيَادَ مِنْ جُمْلَةِ الشَّرْعِ وَالْمَنَاهِجِ وَالْمَنَاسِكِ لِكُلِّ أُمَّةٍ جَعَلْنَا مَنْ سَكَنْ هُمْ نَاسِكُوا So he brings this as the evidence for people who say that Eid is not a religious concern. So that's a, a shubha people bring, right? They say Eid is not a religious concern. It's why are you getting involved in something that's not religious? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, for every ummah, we made rituals they follow. That's the evidence for what? That Eid is a ritual that is legislated and regulated in our religion. That's a good evidence. Yani, that any day of Eid is something regulated within the religion. It's part of the rituals that Allah has given every, yani, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given every single yani, ummah. The second point he makes about the ayat is that what they do on their Eid is a ma'asiyah for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because of what? Yani how can it be? Yani he said, I love what he says here to be honest. He said, He said, what these people do on their Eid is haram. Either it's a bid'ah or it's mansukh. Yani it's been abrogated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He said, the best thing you can say about it, and there's nothing good to say. It's like a Muslim praying to Jerusalem. That's the best you can say about what they do on their Eid days. But there's nothing, any, there's nothing praiseworthy any, about it. And if we allow a little bit of it, what does he say? If you allow a little bit, you're going to open the door to a lot. And that is a valid and completely... Any, Islamically acceptable argument that if something is a little bit and you allow that little bit to happen and you're going to end up and you're going to end up with a lot and that's why he said إذا كانت المشابهة في القليل ذريعة ووسيلة إلى بعض هذه القباح قباح كانت محرمة he said even if resembling these non-Muslims in a tiny thing leads to something greater is haram even from that angle. So he's bringing different angles. We can take a break now. When he's bringing different angles, but what's the angle he brings here? He says, okay, even if you ignore everything we said, even if all the things we said you cross off, and we just say that copying them in their Eid leads to a greater amount of copying in something else alone, by itself, that's enough to say that it is. It's enough to say that it is prohibited. Inshallah ta'ala that kind of concludes our discussion with regard to the uh, yani ayat. Also the fact that it makes them happy when you celebrate their Eid. They, they love to see you celebrating uh, their Eid. And what they do on their Eid is either kufr or it's haram or it's mubah with resemblance. So all of those are come to haram. Kufr is kufr and haram is haram. And something permissible they do which leads to resemblance of them for us is and it is also haram for inshallah ta'ala he brings many many wujuh with regard to it and it brings a bit it brings love for them that's another point that he mentions uh, that it brings and it brings love for them and that and it takes us up to page 369 all of those pages that i just read now it's about 20 30 pages he brings eight reasons why the eid of the non-Muslims is not any is not allowed. He brings eight 
separate reasons. Each one of them it would be alone by itself to make it haram. And even if it's just the fact that you would slightly love them, even if there was nothing haram in it except that you would just slight, like feel inclined, inclined towards them, it would be enough. For inshallah ta'ala, we're going to take a break. I need to understand what this thing says about the food. Food for the brothers in the back and the, QR code. and the QR code With the Q&A on it For the brothers and sisters Okay, okay. where's the QR code? Okay, the QR code will come up there With the Q&A For the brothers and sisters to ask your questions For Q&A We hope inshallah ta'ala We did ask if Sheikh Zafar uh, If Sheikh can come with us To, to answer the Q&A We'll try but we'll do it in Arabic Inshallah ta'ala uh, and myself and uh, Sheikh Abu Musab will be with you inshallah ta'ala for the Q&A so you can ask those questions as well so alhamdulillah we've come through a lot so a few more points we have to do bi'ithnillah ta'ala we'll finish them in the last session wajizakumullahu khayran alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa salatu wa salam ala abdillahi wa rasulih nabina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in amma ba'd on page 369 of the Shah of Sheikh Ibn Sheikh Islam Ibn Taymiyyah mentions really what the basis is of the ruling of these things in terms of what is permissible, what is obligatory, what is recommended, and so on. He said, Mushabahatuhum fima laysa min shara'ina qismani. Resembling them in that which is not from our sharia is of two categories. Look again, and I've said this more than once. Look at the diqqah, the precision of what Sheikh al-Islam, he says, rahimahullah ta'ala, fima laysa min shara'ina. So the first thing, what's he excluding? Put aside anything that is from our sharia. So what's the first job when someone says, is it allowed? That's why some of the brothers came with some questions during the break. I wasn't, okay, maybe I was being a bit harsh with you. But I was kind of telling you, like, I'm not going to answer. Why? I want you to take this first and then I'll answer for you, inshallah. The first thing we're going to do, someone presents an action to us and says, this action resembles the non-Muslims. What's the ruling? The first thing we're going to take out is anything that is part of our sharia. Because what's part of our sharia, it doesn't matter whether it resembles the non-Muslims or not, if it is part of our sharia, aslan wa wasfan, in its origin and the way we do it. Otherwise, what did we say the default is? If it's part of our sharia and their sharia, usually we do it in a different way to the way they do it. If it's not from our sharia, either in itself or in the description of the way it's being done, our sharia, we take it out. We don't have a discussion what the Prophet told us to do. So what did we mean by aslan and wasfan? We mentioned the issue of the issue of Etian uh, al-Hayd. We said that the Prophet ﷺ agreed with the Yahud in the Asal and differed with the Yahud in the Wasf. What's the agreement in the Asal? فَاعْتَزِلُ النِّسَاءَ 
Keep away from women on their menses. That's an agreement with the Yahud in the, in the basic concept. But in the wasf, you can do everything except nikah, except intimacy. Now, we differed from them in the, in the way we do it. For that is the issue of what is from our sharia. Now we wanna, we've removed the issues from our sharia. We're left with something that is not from our sharia. If you want to be more precise even, it's not evidenced by Quran or Sunnah or Ijma' and it's not from the habit of the Sahaba and those who follow them in good. <coughs> it's not evidenced by Quran, Sunnah or Ijma' and it's not from the Adat, the habits of the Sahaba and those who follow them in good. So now what are we left with? Ahaduhuma the first is we know that this action is a part of their religion so now we said the first category is something which is a part of their religion. It's something which is a part of their religion. Okay, it's not just that they do it. It's a part of their religion. Now, why might a person do this? They might want to do it to be similar to them. <clears throat> and I want to celebrate what they celebrate. I want to worship what they worship. Or it may be, and the Sheikh said, and this is rare. Or it may be because of a desire connected to that. What do we mean a desire connected to it? Something that the person wants to do, which is a part of that religious any event so let's say for example there's a religious event connected to some of the non-muslims and that religious event let's say for example has let's say presence in it some people celebrate that religious event because they want to be like that religion others celebrate that religious event because they want to get the presence that are given out on that religious event or either because of a, a confusion, a misconception, the person imagines that this action is actually beneficial for them either in the dunya or the akhirah. What's the ruling of those things? The person who does it in order to agree with their religion. And the person who does it because of something they enjoy out of the, the celebration itself. Or someone who does it because they're confused and they think that there's something beneficial in it in the dunya or the akhirah. 
all of it, you can straight away say haram. But what kind of haram? Some of them reaches the level of the major sins. And it might even reach the level of kufr according to the evidences of the sharia. Allah Sheikh Islam is very, very precise with what he says. So he says, all of these you can give it one ruling. The ruling is haram. But what kind of haram? You have to use the evidences of the sharia to judge whether it is a sin or a major sin or whether it is even kufr and not all of it is kufr the person has a shubha <coughs> we don't carry out Islamic punishments in the presence of confusion and the person thought that it's, this is something which Muslims do they got confused for that person is not like the one who intended to match them in their religion him. The person who loves their deen Then the adilla brought the evidence that this is Kufr And the person loves their religion The person wants to help their religion over the Muslims And he wants to see their religion become prevalent in the Muslim lands This is apostasy like not everybody who does something from their religion left the religion of Islam. Rather, there are adilla shara'iyya. Why does the Sheikh not bring it here? Because the mas'ala is a mas'ala kabira tawila. It's a big issue. It's an issue of takfir. What do you base takfir upon and what are the evidences and when does the level reach the level of takfir? So he's telling you this is a big issue now. This is not something I'm going to take in one page. You now have a matter which we guarantee you is sinful. That is what is from the khasais of their religion. The unique things for their religion. Notice the word khasais. Why did he say khasais, the unique qualities of their religion? To take out what is shared between their religion and ours. Like as-salah, was-siyam. He's very precise, and even these words very, very precise. So for this to be haram, we have to know that it is not part of our sharia. And it is part of theirs, their deen. It's part of their deen. Then we're going to ask, why is the person doing it? Is it because they want to they want to agree with that person's religion. The Sheikh said, this is rare. So what does that tell you? The most extreme case is actually rare. It's rare. To be honest, we've seen the, you know, the Muslim lands. We've seen how many you know, Christmas trees and you know, how many New Year's celebrations and all of that stuff. Do, do you really think that Muslims do that because they want to be Christian? Oh, wallahi, that's not fair. Wallahi, it's not, it's not, it's not fair. It's qalil hada. It's very, maybe there's one or two people want to be Christian. Like, it's not the majority. Majority is a, a shahwa, a desire that is connected to it. Oh, we can get a lot of money. People, people will respect us. And many of them have shubuhat. 
like shubhat tasamuh the shubha of tasamuh that we should let every religion express themselves just like we want to be respected in their lands then they should be respected in ours and that's part of the rahmah of islam we've seen sheikh al-islam spent the last any 350 pages showing us that that, ha- that is goes against the quran and the sunnah and ijma and all of the four madahib and the statement of the scholars of islam all of them he's finished that issue like there are people that have shubhat they're confused they believe that what we're doing is we are saying for example as you respect our masajid and our days of eid so we will also respect your churches and your day of eid for example we're not saying that's a good idea we're saying it's a confusion you cannot rule the person with the same ruling as the one who says i want to be a christian and other people are interested in a manfa'a i want my dunya out of it like look let's be honest man there's a lot of money out of people and he's celebrating these things so each one of them we're going to give them a ruling that is proper to their situation and here also i want to highlight a very important point why that the issue is even more severe when it is connected to walatul umur the people in charge of the muslims because takfir in with regard to them is not like takfir with regard to the regular muslim because the, when you're talking about takfir with regard to them you are talking about the spilling of blood you're talking about civil war you're talking about major issues for the muslims living in that country you're talking about any issues of the whole safety and security and fabric of the society for i'm telling people be careful about these things you will see we're not we are not living in the time of umar bin abdul aziz that's for sure rahimahullah ta'ala rahmatan wasi'ah we have calamities in muslim countries from this issue of muwafaqatu ashab al-jahim being similar to the people of jahannam but at the same time takfir for a regular muslim is serious takfir of the hakim is worse because the consequences of that is that people die people get yani their lives get ruined countries get turned upside down sometimes the non-muslims overtake that country in response but be careful about these issues sahih we so why what did sheikh islam i'm not saying something sheikh islam didn't say sheikh islam said what's the ruling haram that we have no shak about it haram within that haram is kufr within that haram is a kabira min kabair al-dhunub and within that haram is a sin which doesn't reach the level of a kabira and hatta even maybe in some regards like in that is qad yakunu any ba'idan any maybe we don't say it's very common that a person might even have a udhar in terms of any the fact that they took a shubha and maybe even they asked a fatwa from a person of knowledge and the person gave them a fatwa that yani this is yani this was done at the time of the sahaba or this was allowed min al-immat al-mudallin the imams that misguide people for that could be a case any a person could be confused about it for in any case yani the way the sheikh put it is very clear the ruling we give to all of these things is haram within it is that which is kufr no doubt
somebody wants to be Christian, someone loves Christianity, they want to see Christianity take over the Muslim lands, there's no doubt about the kufr of it. But somebody who, yeah, and he just thought it would be a good reason to get paid, it's a major sin. Somebody who got confused about it and thought that what I'm doing is facilitating the Muslims in, their, in the non-Muslim lands, that has its own ruling. Each one of them takes a different ruling according to the situation. The second type is that the person didn't know it was part of their actions. They didn't know that it was from the actions that are specific to the kuffar. He said, أَحَدُهُمَا مَا كَانَ فِي الْأَصْلِ مَأْخُوذًا عَنْهُمْ إِمَّا عَلَى الْوَجْهِ الَّذِي يَفْعَلُونَهُ وَإِمَّا مَعَ نَوْعِ تَغْيِيرٍ فِي الزَّمَانِ أَوِ الْمَكَانِ أَوِ الْفِعْلِ وَنَحْوِ ذَلِكِ He said the first one is what was taken from them originally. And it started off with them and we took it from them. So we took away what's related to their religion. Now we're talking about something which, if you trace back the history, we took it from them. Either the way that it's done or with a change, any, a certain amount of change in it. Maybe we took it from them but we changed it. You know, we took it from them, but we changed it. And we changed it. For example, if this might not be a good example, it might upset people. Like, I just want to, like, as an example, right, not to talk about, if we say that the tasbih came from the Catholic rosary beads. So what happened? They took it from them with a taghir, a change. So instead of, doing whatever the Catholics do with it, they, they count subhanAllah and alhamdulillah. And there could be, it could be exactly the way they did it, or it could be with a, a change. The number of beads is not the same. And like in fil asli ma'khudun anhum. Originally, it came from them. I'm not saying, this, I'm just saying as an example, yani if we took, if we say that the tasbih, the, the, the stones on the beads, the beads on the string, came from the rosary beads used by the Christians. That we never had it in Islam when they saw the Christians counting the names of Allah on the beads, they made their own beads, which they count the names of Allah, but they made them different to the way, like they didn't do it the same way. He said, This is mostly what the regular people got caught up in. This is what many regular Muslims got caught up in. And he mentions Al-Milad as well, the Milad of the Prophet Sallallahu Allahu Akbar. 
So Sheikh Islam says, this person doesn't know that this originally came from them. He doesn't know. For example, he's celebrating Milad and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he doesn't know that this Milad was taken from Milad, the Milad of Nabi Allah Isa, Al-Maz'oom, the, the false Milad of, the, of Isa, alayhi salatu wasalam. They just know that my dad celebrated Milad and my granddad celebrated Milad and everything. They didn't know that it came from the non-Muslims. So what do we do? We educate them. If they stop from it, we say, Alhamdulillah, you didn't know? Insha'Allah ta'ala, it will be forgiven and overlooked. You didn't realize that it came from the non-Muslims. Now you know that it comes from the non-Muslims, so you have to stop doing it. If they don't stop, we take that action of theirs and we bring it into the first category. And it becomes a part of the first category. Because now they know that this is something taken from the non-Muslims. And we show them that it's taken from the non-Muslims. If they stop, alhamdulillah, if they keep going, we say it goes back to the first category, which is haram, either kufr if it necessitates kufr, or a kabira if it necessitates that it's a kabira, or less than that. And depending on whether they have doubts about it or confusion or they think it benefits them in the dunya or the akhirah. Like the milad, people don't celebrate the milad because of, except because they believe that it benefits them in the akhirah, right? And if people really believe that they're going to be rewarded for it in the akhirah. They believe that Allah is going to reward them for it. For this, and again, each one of those has its ruling that goes in the first category. And no thani. Now the second type, this is breaking it down into the two types under the one that we didn't know, that we don't know that it came from them. <clears throat> so the first type is what? The first section was, we know that it came from them. The second section is, we don't know that it came from them. The first part of that is, we find out it did come from them, and in which case we educate people, and if they don't stop, it belongs, in, it belongs with the first part. The second one is, مَا لَيْسَ فِي الْأَصْلِ مَأْخُوذًا عَنْهُمْ لَكِنَّهُمْ يَفْعَلُونَهُ It's not taken from them. It wasn't taken from them. But they do it as well as, like they and we do it. It's not from our sharia. Remember, our sharia has already gone away. It's not from our sharia. It's something that was taken that was not taken from them but that they happen to do it he says كراهة ذلك وتحريمه على دليل شرعي وراء كونه من مشابهتهم إذ ليس كون إذ ليس كوننا تشبهنا بهم بأولى من كونهم تشبهوا بنا فأما استحباب تركه لمصلحة المخالفة 
إذا لم يكن في تركه ضرر فظاهر لما تقدم من المخالفة والله it's beautiful what he said the way he brought all the dalil together it's amazing so remember we're talking about now something that has not been taken from the kuffar maybe they took it from us but it's not from our sharia like they happen to do it so now the question is he said this does not contain mushabaha in it this is not resembling them but we might lose out on the benefit of being different from them Ajib. how does someone explain that for me it doesn't contain the prohibition of resembling them but we might miss out on the benefit of being different from them ah <coughs> uh, because they're doing it still we we could oppose it just for the sake that we don't want to do what they do even though they never we they we never took it from them but just because they happen to do it we want to do something different that is there but we don't say that it's disliked or haram without a dalil shar'i to prove that it's an act of resemblance so we cannot say that it is makruh or haram we can't without an evidence to prove that it is resemblance why because the fact that we resemble them is not more deserving than the fact that they resemble us any what's any how do we know who is resembling any who here any what what's to say that we have to always be the one to copy them why not they didn't they, they could have copied us as for it being recommended to leave it for the benefit of being different from them then there's one question to ask if we leave it will we come to harm and if we will not come to harm then it is mustahab it is recommended to leave it just to be different from them but the condition is that there's no harm in leaving it for us so we go again something which is not taken from them but they happen to do it this is not resemblance we're not resembling them at all but we may want to be different from them just for the sake of the benefit of being different from them which has been proven in all the evidences that came before we don't say that it's makruh we don't say that it's haram unless we can show that and by the way is a faida here i want you to learn not everything that is left that is mustahab becomes makruh does that make sense mustahab and makruh do not come like that just like any now a person for example says it's makruh to leave something mustahab no that's not that's not correct that's not or it could be in some situations it could be but it's not a, a definite rule that leaving something that is mustahab necess necessitates you've done something makruh and those two don't go together by necessity so here he says we don't say makruh or haram unless we have a dalil shar'i to show this is an act of resemblance we might we might have a dalil shar'i to say yes actually there is evidence here 
that we can say that there is a resemblance in it. Otherwise, it becomes mustahab for us to leave it if there's no harm in leaving it for us. And it doesn't bring us a harm to leave it. It becomes recommended to leave it. You get rewarded for leaving it just to be different from, just to be different from these people. He said, وَهَذَا قَدْ تُوجِبُ الشَّرِعَةُ مُخَالَفَتَهُمْ فِيهِ وَقَدْ تُوجِبُ عَلَيْهِمْ مُخَالَفَتَنَا كَمَا فِي الزِّيِّ وَنَحْوِهِ وَقَدْ يَقْتَصِرُ عَلَى الْإِسْتِحْبَابِ كَمَا فِي صِبْغِ اللِّحْيَةِ وَالصَّلَاةِ فِي النَّعْلَيْنِ وَالسُّجُودِ وَقَدْ تَبْلُغُ الْكِرَاهَةِ كَمَا فِي تَأْخِيرِ الْمَغْرِبِ والفطور بخلاف مشابهتهم فيما كان مأخوذا عنهم فإن الأصل فيه التحريم كما قدمناه so he said it may be that the sharia for a dalil the sharia tells us we are obliged to be different in it طيب didn't sheikhs just say it's istihbab and this that now he says there could be a dalil in the sharia that this dalil tells us it is obligatory for us to be different from them in it. Or it's obligatory for them to be different from us. Like in what? In the mode, the way of dress. So what's he saying about the way of dress? Is the way of dress from their deen? No, if it's from their deen, it comes in the first category. So now we have to just concentrate a bit. If the way of dress is a religious way of dress, it comes in the first category. There's no discussion. Haram. And it could even be kufr if the person wants to be part of their religion and loves their religion over Islam. It could even be kufr. Now we're not saying that. We're talking about their regular dress now. The regular dress comes in the category that it's not clear that we took it from them, but they, any they happen to do it. They happen to do it. It's one of their habits. They wear a certain type of clothes, but it's not to do with their religion at all. They just happen to do it. You would say that we've covered the principle, that, that it's recommended for us to leave it as long as there's not harm in it for us and all of that. But here, Sheikh Hassan says, no. Here, there is a dalil shar'i that we have to leave them in it. A separate dalil came by itself, which is the action of Umar and the consensus of the Sahaba, that they have to be different from us and we have to be different from them in the, the way that we dress. In what situation? In the situation that the Muslims are dominant. And they're not allowed to wear our clothing. And wallahi, until today, I'll tell you now, wallahi, alhamdulillah, still in many Muslim countries we have that. And it's not, they don't like for a non-Muslim to wear the clothing that is associated with the people of that country. No, you're not allowed to wear this. And when they do, it has a profound effect. In the first time I ever saw a Hindu dressed as an Emirati, Wallahi, it burned my heart, Wallahi. I never ever in my life seen a Hindu dressed properly as an Emirati. White kandura, the ghutra, the iqal, the whole lot. 
and this, I've only ever seen it once in my life. Lakin hadha, wallahi, he deserves to be forced to take that clothing off. Because it is from the things the Sharia made it haram for him to wear that clothing. And it's not allowed for him. Why? So that nobody thinks that he is a Muslim. Why? Because what was he doing? He was wearing that clothing and he went to a Hindu prayer festival and he prayed to an idol in that clothing. And we saw it. He prayed to an idol wearing that clothing. Why? All of it to make the Muslims think that the people of that country have started to worship the idols and whatever. For this person deserves the Wali Al-Amr to take him and forcibly make him to remove that clothing. And we don't say it's istihbab and it's whatever. La, the Sharia here came with a specific ruling, which is the ruling that Umar brought and the consensus of the Sahaba, that they are not allowed to wear our clothing. And Islam is dominant yani in the Middle East, and yani Islam is, is yani in, the, in the Arabian Peninsula, Islam is dominant. So we have no issue with that. Yani Islam is the one that is on top. So now these people should, yeah, they should not be allowed to wear our clothing. And they should be forcibly, it should be forcibly removed from them. They should not be allowed to wear our clothing under any circumstances. Because they're giving the impression that the Muslims have started to follow that, that religion. So now, here the Sheikh says, there's a separate ruling. Why is there a separate ruling from the general principle? Because there's a specific evidence in the Sharia that says it's wajib that they don't wear our clothing. And it's wajib that they don't wear <coughs> that they don't wear our clothing. And for example, what would you do as an example? If, let's say, the non-Muslims were allowed to wear the clothing of the Muslims, and then you see them in a bar drinking alcohol, what would you instantly think? Like you see a hijabi lady in abaya and hijab and everything, she's drinking wine in the bar. Like she's not Muslim. She just wore the clothing. But it affects the Muslims, right? Like it hurts the Muslims. No, we tell her, you're not allowed to wear that clothing. Still, we might tell her you have to cover up for, to prevent the fitna. Yani. Like, and we don't let you wear the clothing of the Muslim women. So that nobody thinks when you do your haram that the Muslims are doing this. This is a ruling Sharia brought it now. You're not, no one's allowed to, yani, within the limits set by the Sharia, yani, it's, that's a ruling. Maybe the Sharia came with istihbab, like in coloring the beard. Coloring the beard, dyeing the beard, the Sharia came with what? The recommendation of dyeing the beard. And the recommendation of praying in your shoes. Is it wajib to pray in your shoes? It's recommended to pray in your shoes when there's not another reason, like the carpet in the masjid. <coughs> it's recommended to pray in your shoes. Sharia came with that recommendation. Someone might say, but why? There's no evidence. What's the evidence that the Jews praying in the shoes, they took, they took it from us or we took it from them? Or like, how do we not know it's just in the third category that Shaykh al-Islam mentioned? No, because the Sharia came with a specific command, which is a recommendation to pray in your shoes. How do we know it's a recommendation, not an obligation? Because the Prophet didn't do it all the time. If it was an obligation, he never would have, he wouldn't leave it under any circumstances. But because there was times he took his shoes off in the prayer, so that indicates that it's a recommendation. It's recommended to pray in your shoes. It's recommended to dye your beard, but we don't say 
the dyeing your beard if you don't dye your beard it's haram any meaning if you've got gray hair in your beard it's recommended for you to dye it if you've got gray hair on your head it's recommended not with black but to dye it with any that the the reddish like color that is the any the the, the hinna and the the hen and the other things that they mix together they mix together two things one is like gives a dark color and one gives like a brown color and they mix it together and they put it on this is recommended why because it doesn't sheikh islam brought it in the third category right because the sharia came with a specific recommendation for it And uh, it says here, I think as sujood, Sheikh Nathaymin says it should be was-suhoor. Was-suhoor. And that's what seems to be the stronger one here. It shouldn't be was-sujood, it should be was-suhoor. The suhoor is also recommended. Like it's recommended for us to delay the suhoor. But if we just felt tired and we had our suhoor an hour before, it wouldn't be haram. Like in you, you're recommended. It's better for you to delay the suhoor to be different from the Jews and Christians. Allahumma, but there is an example of, of bringing the suhoor early that's bid'ah, which doesn't come under copy in the Jews and Christians, it's just, it's just bid'ah in itself, which is having a time that you finish the suhoor, yani, uh, what do they call it? Ims, imsak. This is imsak time. This is bid'ah. Yani. The Prophet never came with imsak time. They used to eat until the adhan. Like when a person just feels like, stop eating, I finish my food now, I, want, I like to wash my mouth out and brush my teeth, Alhamdulillah, no problem. The problem is giving a, a time where you tell the people that exactly nine minutes before the adhan, you all have to stop eating. This is bid'ah. And it may reach the level of makruh. What's the, which is the level of makruh? Delaying maghrib. How do we know that delaying maghrib is not haram? Because the Prophet when he gave the time for the beginning and the end of the prayer, he gave the end of Maghrib as the beginning of Isha. But he, he strongly advised us to, that the Ummah will not cease to be upon good as long as they do the Maghrib early. So that, that shows you that it is disliked to delay Maghrib beyond its earliest time. But that it's still not sinful. And likewise delaying the Futur, delaying the Iftar. Any person says, I'm not going to do my iftar <coughs> until half an hour after the fast has broken or something like that. This is disliked. It's not for a reason like a bid'ah or like a, like a, a belief about it, but just the person says, like, my habit is, I have my iftar half an hour after the adhan. As opposed to resembling them in that which is taken from them, فَإِنَّ الْأَصْلَ فِيهِ التحريم. This is different from the things which were taken from them knowingly, we know it's from their religion. Now we have At-Tahreem. So it's as though the Sheikh is saying that these things that the Sunnah came recommending, yani they are things that the Jews did at that time, but it doesn't mean that it was from their yani it was from their religion. It was from the things that they were known for at that time. But it doesn't mean that it was from their religion. Because if it was from their religion, the ruling would have been at tahrim And it guaranteed it's haram, one view. 
And for example, if their religion was that you have to let the grey hair as an act of worship grow out in your head, head then for sure, if that, was their, if that was from their religion, the ruling would have been a tahrim. But now, because the ruling is recommendation, that shows that this is something they did, but it doesn't necessarily, it's not clear that it necessarily came from any from their religion. From the benefits <coughs> the Sheikh brought regarding Eid, there's just a few extra benefits now. We finished the, any, the most important things that I wanted to cover. SubhanAllah, like, and we only reached page 372, and even that we just picked, you know, I think we read maybe not, not even 60, 70 pages out of 800-page book. It's for wide with benefits, but we just, what we could do. He said, Al-Eidu ism jins yadkhulu fihi kullu yawmin aw makanin lahum fihi ijtima' wa kullu amalin yuhtithunahu fi hadhi al-amkina wal-azmina falaysa al-nahyu an khususi a'yadihim bal kullu ma yu'azzimunahu min al-awqati wal-amkina التي لا أصل لها في دين الإسلام أو يحدثونه فيها من الأعمال يدخل في ذلك. He said Eid is a generic term for every day or place where these people gather, and every action that they do in these times or these places. The prohibition is not just their Eid; it's not just their Eid itself. Everything they give honor to on those days. Everything, every period of time they give honor to. Every place they give honor to. If it doesn't have an evidence in the Sharia, all of it is a Eid. For even if they have a place they give honor to, that just a place, just like a, a particular area, particular place that they give, they give a status to it, has the same ruling as the Eid. Because it's still called a Eid in Islam. He said, وَكَذَلِكَ وَكَذَلِكَ حَرِيمُ الْعِيدِ وَمَا قَبْلَهُ وَمَا بَعْدَهُ مِنَ الْأَيَّامِ الَّتِي يُحْتِثُونَ فِيهَا أَشْيَاءَ لِأَجْلِهِ أَوْ مَا حَوْلَهُ مِنَ الْأَمْكِنَةِ الَّتِي يُحْتَثُ فِيهَا أَشْيَاءَ لِأَجْلِهِ He said, all the days that are connected to the Eid, all the places that are connected to that place, all of them fall under the Eid. So that includes Christmas, Boxing Day, Christmas Eve, all of them have the same ruling. It's not just Christmas Day. Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and Boxing Day, all of them have the same. New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, all of them have the same ruling. Because it doesn't mean that it's that day itself. Any day that they venerate with a special name, or a special place, or a special set of actions in it, it takes exactly the same ruling likewise for a place if they have a place which they venerate and then next to that there's another place where they do certain actions like example let's just say they have a, a particular place that they honor and there's another place where they wash themselves to get ready to go into that place both of them are haram the place they wash themselves in and the place they're heading to because one of them is connected to is connected to the other The Sheikh gives examples. He also mentions, wallahi, and from the benefits I highlighted, 
the importance of encouraging our families, strongly encouraging our families, that we teach our families not to get into this habit. It's very easy, wallahi, we're talking now, but it's very easy and your heart, you know, people, like we said, people enjoy celebrations. People, look, kids, which kid doesn't want to get presents? Like which kid would say like, you know, the kids are all like, oh, my friends all get presents and which kid would not want to get presents? So you have to really, really have that tarbiyah with your family and you have to con constantly teach them teach our children how, but how do we teach our children when we send them to their schools you know what i mean it's hard right i'm not saying people are forced in some situations but i'm saying like when we say, when we realize this we realize that the, what did we say in the beginning from the ways the non-muslims control the behavior of the muslims is through the education system that's not a conspiracy that's reality they, you send your children to that school yeah, maybe they celebrate Eid, but they celebrate Christmas and Diwali and they celebrate Hanukkah and they celebrate any, everything else. So the kid ends up confused at best and at worst. Why can't I have a Christmas present like my friend in class? <coughs> Teach your children different from that. Teach them to be different. That doesn't mean that we have to behave badly towards the non-Muslims. It doesn't mean we have to have a seb, any cursing them and you know, saying bad things to them. If they don't treat us badly, we we don't we don't have any issue. That you be any fair to them, and that you treat them well. But don't let ourselves lose our Islamic identity. Yeah, let our kids. Why why do our kids have to feel shy to say I don't celebrate Christmas? Like this is this any extreme behavior that they have in the schools now. That you know the kid puts their hand and says I don't celebrate Christmas, and straight away so we're going to report you to prevent. Because you're, you're now an extremist. Okay, no problem. My kids are extremists. What can I say? They don't celebrate Christmas. Like in the Jewish kid in the corner also doesn't celebrate Christmas, but we'll not say anything about that. Huh? <laughs> that's not anti-Semitism. That's reality. And he also doesn't celebrate Christmas. Like we can't say that. For subhanAllah, like a person, like we need to wake up. Wallahi. Wallahi. We need to wake up because this reality of what our kids are going through. And they, 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 you send them to those schools, well, it's a big problem. For my nasiha is whoever can homeschool their children, homeschool them. Don't say even better than an Islamic school. But if you can't, and it's a lot for you, you can't manage, at least send them to an Islamic school, the best one that you can find. But wallahi, sending them to the non-Muslims, what can you do? The only thing you can do if you have to send them, the only option you have is every day you try to erase what these people put in their heads. <coughs> and he mentions a lot about talking to your family. And he, wallah, he mentions a lot about talking to your family about it and encouraging your family and teaching your, you know, teaching your children and raising your children not to be a part of these things. He also mentions on page uh, 376 <coughs> The Eid of the Kuffar are, are many and different It's not for you to go and look at their days of Eid It's not for you to go and research 
well, let me see what happens on New Year's Eve. I'll just go out into the town center and do a research project. And I say, you're not allowed to do that. If you know they do it, that's enough. Wallahi, there's a great fa'id. I wish I would read you all that, what he wrote about it, but there's a great benefit in this. We have got the wrong idea of da'wah in many situations. We think that da'wah is based upon what? Studying the beliefs of the non-Muslims. You have to know an approximation of what the person believes. Roughly, I know that this person believes in a trinity or they believe in... I can just study the Bible. We don't, we don't have that. We don't, we don't study what the non-Muslims do in that, to that degree. Allahumma accept the one who is mutakhassis in something specialist for a purpose that is permitted in the Sharia. That's different. But in general, in da'wah, do we study the Torah to give da'wah? No, we don't need to study the Torah to give da'wah. We only need to study the Qur'an. Taib, now we come to the issue of hadaya, gifts. The Shaykh he said, وَمَنْ أَهْدَى مِنَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ هَدِيَّةً فِي هَذِهِ الْأَعْيَاتِ مُخَالِفَةً لِلْعَادَةِ فِي سَائِلِ الْأَوْقَاتِ غَيْرَ هَذَا الْعِيدِ لَمْ تُقْبَلْ هَدِيَّتُهُ He said that any gift that is given on the days of their Eid, which is not a normal gift that would be given at other times, we don't accept the gift. So, a gift that is given, which would not, it's not something that would be given at other times. What is he excluding? Like for example, maybe people just generally like gave each other like, say for example, we typically send like maybe food to the neighbor's house, they send food to us. It's not Christmas related or anything, it's a normal thing. But something that is specific, it's a food from their Eid. It's like their Christmas cake or their, and it's a food from their Eid. Or it's a present that is not what they normally give. They're giving it on that time, we don't accept it. خصوصاً إن كانت مما يستعان بها على التشبه بهم Even more so if the gift is something that is, it is, has an aspect of resemblance and it's supporting the resemblance of them. Like giving candles on the Milad, on Christmas. Like, and if someone gets, it's even worse. Because now, it's got, an as, it's got like a religious aspect to it now. Any the candles that they used to light, they believe that lighting the candles on Christmas. By the way, Sheikh al-Islam has got a whole book on Christianity. We should do it next time. Like it's six volumes, well, it's like big. Jawab al-Masih. The true answer to the ones who change the religion of Isa. Wallah, it's very, very good. Like, and he says here, it's worse if it's a candle. Because what do they do? They light the candles on, on I mean, they used to light the candles. Now, I don't think they do anything. But if they, practicing Christians, used to light candles on Christmas Eve or something like that. So he says, now if they give you a candle, it's even worse. Because it's almost like they're saying, look here, take this candle so you can... And you can light it on Christmas. And he said, or uh, giving eggs and uh, and uh, what do you call it, uh, milk and uh, and so on on this um, 
at the end of Lent. Sometimes I read these words in Arabic, I find them hard to translate, but I'm trying to get the right English word, at the end of Lent. Like you, if you're giving them an egg at the end of Lent. Lent is the Salm al-Nasara, right? The Christian fasting. Again, you might find that strange because there's not many Christians, to be honest. Like in our country, really do it. But fasting on Lent, there are people who do it. So they fast from certain types of whatever food. So if, if somebody gives you that type of food at the end, oh, it's even worse now because he's giving you something specifically related to the religion. And he said, No Muslim is allowed to give it, and no Muslim is allowed for it to be given to him. So you're not allowed to buy them eggs at the end of Lent. <coughs> and you're not allowed to, for, you're not allowed to buy them uh, candles at Christmas or presents for Christmas. Does that make sense? You can't buy it for them, and they can't buy it for you. Wala yabi'ul Muslim ma yasma. No Muslim is allowed to sell to a Muslim that which they use to resemble the non-Muslims on the day of Eid. Whether it's food or dress or anything like that. You're not allowed to sell a Muslim a Christmas tree. And we spoke about the issue of you're not allowed to sell to the non-Muslims that which supports them in their religion anyways. But that's the Sheikh goes into that in detail. What are you allowed to sell to the non-Muslims and what you're not allowed to sell? Is it something specifically for their Eid or not? Is it? And he, he brings those issues of what you're allowed to sell to the Muslims and what are you allowed not to sell to the non-Muslims. <coughs> Ibn Taymin comments on this and he says, this is a type of siyasa. He doesn't mean by siyasa politics. It's not, not the meaning of siyasa here is more general. He means siyasa as in this is a kind of, and he, there's a specific reason why we behave like that. And that is when you don't accept their gifts and you don't accept their da'wah on those days, what are you actually doing? Yani, you are, you are actually and you're calling that person you're actually, you're actually showing that person What Islam really is And you're abandoning that festival You're telling them I've got nothing to do with it There's a mas'ala, but it's a long one. But just a general, the Sheikh Islam discusses it. You can read it more on page 380. It's worth going into it in detail, which is what you can buy from them. So people ask a lot about this, like, can you buy, for example, Easter eggs? So if that, certainly there's certain things you can't do. If buying that gives them that encouragement, like, so we, if, we say, if we say that Easter eggs, yani, in reality, it's a commercial product, right? It doesn't really have anything to do with 
and it's just a commercial product that's sold in the souk. But if you're doing something that encourages that festival or, or participates in it, then no. But then the issue comes, can you buy Easter eggs after the time has gone? Just because it's cheap chocolate. And can you buy, like, I like chocolate. Like, but can you, can you buy, like, cheap chocolate? Like, because it's, like, things they sell after Christmas, they discount it because nobody wants to buy it anymore from the things. So there's a long discussion. It's not, like, it's not a small discussion. Like, and if we have time in the Q&A, we'll try to summarize it, inshallah. The issue of aswaq ghayrul muslimin fi awqati ayadihim the non-Muslim souk at the time of their Eid and what they sell and what's allowed to buy and what's not allowed to buy and what about if you buy when it's not the time of that festival just because it's, something is cheap I and mean, they sell, they sold stuff that is cheap because it's not the time of their festival but there's a discussion a very good discussion on it inshallah ta'ala we'll try to if we can summarize it but it's, it's quite it's quite long uh, Imam Ahmed was asked هَلْ شُهُودُ أَسْوَاقِهِمْ بِمَنْزِلَةِ شُهُودِ أَعْيَادِهِمْ He allowed Imam Ahmed going to the souq, but he didn't allow any the participation in the Eid. Any. Like in the issue of what you can buy and sell there, there's a lot of and there's a lot of any discussion about what you can buy and what you can't buy. Whether you're helping them in a sin and whether you're participating in the Eid by buying it or not and whether it's connected to their Eid specifically and whether it's something that is directly connected or just it's a, just a general thing they sell at that time. Like they sell certain things at Christmas. Like for example, at Christmas they sell boxes of chocolate. There's a good, good masala at Christmas, they sell lots of boxes of chocolate that have nothing to do with Christmas. Like roses and what do you call them? Milk trays and whatever they are. They sell lots of chocolate boxes. Like in that box, has got nothing to do with their festival at all. It's not an Easter egg. Easter egg, at least, it's got Easter written on it. It's just they happen to sell them a lot at Christmas. After Christmas, they reduce the price of them because nobody wants to buy them anymore. So now, is it allowed to buy those things? Vahir it's allowed any that's that's what it seems to me in that particular issue because now it's not something the issue with the Easter egg is now there's a bigger issue which is that this is something associated with Easter even if we say it's not really a part of Easter at all like it's just a commercial thing like and it is associated with it so now you certainly can't buy it at Easter time because now you're supporting there any you're supporting the festival whether it's from it or not you're supporting the festival like, and the question is, can you buy it after? That's where the issue needs any research. Well, no doubt any person can avoid any. <coughs> what about the Muslims? He mentions on page uh, 381. What about the Muslims who sell to them in their Eid what they use for their Eid, like food, clothing, and things like that? You're helping them to celebrate their Eid. You can't sell them. The clothing will come to the Q&A. We will come to it, inshallah. Because I'm just conscious that shuyukh are waiting as well, shuyukh dhafar and everything. So now you, you can't sell them clothing or food that they use for their Eid. 
just like you can't sell them weaponry that they use to kill the Muslims. That's also, there's a lot of fawaid in books of Shaykh al-Islam, wallahi. There's a lot of fawaid, wallahi. And from that is that whole issue which I talked about in some videos, if you want to go back to it, on the issue of muqata'ah. The issue of, can you say to someone, it's haram, for example, to buy Coca-Cola? Like if you hold the view that Coca-Cola supports Israel, for example. Like can you say to him, someone, it's haram? That issue is a long discussion that Sheikh Islam touches upon it also in here. There is fawaid, wallah, you can go into. Like we said, the issue that there is ijma' upon is you cannot sell your enemy weaponry. There is ijma' on it. There is no khilaf on it. That you cannot sell your enemy who is trying to kill the Muslims weaponry. All the other issues about what you can buy and sell, there is a discussion on it as to what is allowed and what is not allowed and what about if the Wali al-Amr stops you from doing it or allows you to do it and is it allowed for a group of people to organize it outside of the Muslim government but what about if they live in a non-Muslim country there's a proper discussion on it like this is really beneficial because to be honest with you later on you'll need it Wallah, like whatever you decide to do and you'll, you'll need to understand the Shara'i basis for it not emotional basis for it but the proper Shara'i basis for it for there is a Shara'i basis for muqata'a, right? Like economic boycotting is a practice that was known to the Muslims. It's not something taken from Ahl Kitab like protesting, which is just taken from the non-Muslims. Boycotting is something that was known. Thumama radiallahu an did it, and it was known to the Muslims, right? But it has ahkam and rulings in it. And there are, see the Prophet bought and sold from the Jews in Medina, even though they were, they, they were plotting against the Muslims, right? So that's not to say that you should be done all the time, and I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm saying that there are there is evidence here, and evidence here, and evidence here, and you need to understand that evidence in order to be able to come to a reasonable conclusion about what is best for you to do in particular situation. I did answer it on a podcast in a bit of detail, but if you go back here, like it's better. Why is it even better to go back here? Because it takes you out of the emotion of the moment into the books of the Salaf who nobody's going to accuse of being in favor of and you know Sheikh Islam had, took a view that you can't make a treaty with Yahud he said you can't make a treaty with them so they can't stick to it they will, whatever you do you cannot make a peace treaty with them because they cannot stick to it so you cannot say someone like that is compromising on any issues he's, he's telling you like it is like he does discuss it's not in so much detail here, but in, in his books you can find discussion of issues that then you can you can understand the, yani the matter better. So he discusses at length, if you go to Dar al-Harb, what are you allowed to take for, take and sell to them? What are you not allowed to sell to them? Yani, what about if you bring, if you take clothing and food to the land of the enemy and sell it? Like ala sabil mithal, like if somebody takes like, let's say a bunch of like, products like their clothing products and they take it all to Israel and they start selling the Israelis the, their clothing and stuff like that what's the hukum on it for he goes into like this issue and then is that the same as the Eid and is it the same as buying the stuff on their Eid and like you can benefit a lot from it inshallah but there's a lo long discussion we don't really have any a lot of time for it but there's like you if you do a nice research on that topic you could come you could really like benefit a lot from it wallahi and it would help you to know more 
like as to whether what you decided to do for yourself in your personally any decision about what you decided to do with in terms of boycotting something or not boycotting it you would know more about whether it is and it is something that is praiseworthy in the sight of Allah or not and to what extent I just need to one few more couple more points I had highlighted but my selector is not really working properly sometimes it misbehaves Just two, three more points, that's it. There's so many more points, but that's just... He also makes a point on page 434 that the celebrations of Ahlul Bid'ah are attached to the issue of the Ayyad of the Kuffar. Because all of them anyways came from Tashabbuh bil Kuffar in the first place. So the celebrations of Ahlul Bid'ah, the places they go to, or the celebrations they have, or the days they have to celebrate, like on this Thursday and this day after this time, and all of that is also attached to it. And he discusses at length on that page why that is, and why that is the case. But he does mention that a person of Bid'ah could be Forgiven for what they did, and that's a, that's in Sheikh Islam is very very yani just in that regard. Like he said, قَدْ يَكُونُ مُتَأْوِلًا فِي هَذَا الشَّرَعَ فَيُغْفَرُ لَهُ لِأَجْلِ تَأْوِيلِهِ إِذَا كَانَ مُجْتَهِدًا الْإِجْتِهَادَ الَّذِي يُعْفَى مَعَهُ عَنِ الْمُخْطِئِ وَيُثَابُ أَيْضًا عَلَى إجْتِهَادِهِ Like someone could be a, a genuine, like qualified to make a judgment, and he tried to make a judgment, he got it wrong, and he fell into something. Any mistaken, for he could be forgiven, or even potentially he could even be rewarded for something that he did that was wrong. Not rewarded for the wrong action, of course, but he could be rewarded for his effort to try to reach the truth. And that's why, if you look at any really what Sheikh Islam said, you can and you can be quite impressed by like the way that he's the justice that he has towards people. Like he's not a person who is, you know, overly let's say un or the, who is unfair with people. Also, he mentioned. الأصل في العبادات أن لا يشرع منها إلا ما شرعه الله والأصل في العادات أن لا يحضر منها إلا ما حضره الله What's the أصل about the عبادات? The أصل of the عبادات is All عبادات are haram except what Allah specifically made يعني allowed What's the delil for that? That's important delil. I think you should know the delil for that. Let's get. I'll bring the reference for it also because you can bring. You bring me the evidence if you know it by heart. Bring, bring from the Quran if you can. You could. You could use it. There's an ayah that they use. Um, there's an ayah that they use more than, and they use the ayah in Surah Shura, ayah number 21. This is the ayah you brought is good also. Anything which mentions Allah's sharia, like in here it specifically mentions do they have others that legislate for them in the religion 
what Allah has not permitted. Ayah number 21 from Surah Shura. So what does that tell us? Any single thing which is not permitted by Allah in the religion, expressly permitted by Allah in the religion, is not allowed. Does anyone know the evidence for the other way around? That everything from the ibadat? And what's the most common example that they use? Good. That's all. You could use that as an evidence. Definitely you could. But it's not the most common one they use. Sahih, they, they, you, but I'm talking about now, that's, that, that's the evidence for the first one. That goes with the first one. That goes with the, the first one. That you can't, and now I want to know what, what's the proof that in the religion, so what's the proof that in the worldly life, the food and the drink and the clothing, all of it is halal except what Allah is, uh, what, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made halal. Good, you could you could use that, but it's still not the most common one um, that they use. Yeah, I know the most common one they use. I remembered it now. Yeah, you can also use it, but it's still not the most common one they use. They also you can use it. Still not the most. The one that they use the most common is from Surah Yunus, ayah number fifty-nine. قُلْ أَرَأَيْتُمْ مَا أَنزَلَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ مِنْ رِزْقٍ فَجَعَلْتُمْ مِنْهُ حَرَامًا وَحَلَالًا قُلْ آلَّهُ أَذِنَ لَكُمْ أَمْ عَلَى اللَّهِ تَفْتَرُونَ Have you seen what Allah sent down from rizq? You made it into halal and haram. Did Allah give you permission? Or do you invent a lie against Allah? They use this also. And they use other ayat as well for it. Uh, and they said uh, the statement وَلَا تَقُولُ لِمَا تَصِفُ أَلْسِنَتُكُمُ الْكَذِبِ وَلَا تَقُولُ لِمَا تَصِفُ أَلْسِنَتُكُمُ الْكَذِبِ هَذَا حَلَانٌ وَهَذَا حَرَامٌ لِتَفْتَرُوا عَلَى اللَّهِ الْكَذِبِ إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَفْتَرُونَ عَلَى اللَّهِ الْكَذِبِ لَا يُفْلِحُونَ الْكَذِبَ لَا يُفْلِحُونَ Ayah number 116 from Surah Al-Nahl Do not say what your tongues invent of a lie, this is halal and this is haram, to make a lie against Allah. Indeed, those people who make a lie against Allah will not be successful. These are some of the ayat, but all the ayat you mentioned, wallahi, all of them, yani all of them have yani a, a wedge from it. But the point is to show that in this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala criticizes them for making something haram. In the previous he criticizes them for making something halal when it's related to rizq and when it's related to the tayyibat that Allah sent down. So now Allah criticizes them for making something haram without a statement from Allah. When it comes to ibadah, Allah criticizes them for making something halal without a statement from Allah. For that is also from the benefits that we took from here. And it's from the benefits you can benefit from in the topic of bid'ah. I think that is all that we have time for, wallahi, even though I had highlighted as one more, I think, if I could find it. Now, wallahi, there's a lot of, a lot of things I highlighted.
I think that's more than enough. Anything else will catch it up, inshallah ta'ala, in the Q&A session because inshallah the shuyukh are waiting. I hope, what I wanted to do, to be quite honest with you, is I knew we're not going to get through the book. But I wanted you to get a feeling for the book. Like, in, in other words, you feel like, yeah, I understand where this book is coming from now. If I were to read this book, I wouldn't be looking and going, well, what's that all about? How does that fit in? Okay, I've understood the basic things that the book is about, inshallah. For with that, bi'ithnillahi ta'ala, I hope, I hope that we benefited from it. There's still lots of discussion to have. We didn't answer every single question, but bi'ithnillahi ta'ala in the Q&A, we can try to answer more, inshallah ta'ala. That is what Allah Azawajal made easy for me to mention. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to teach us what benefits us, to benefit what he, with benefit us with what he teaches us and to increase us in knowledge. And no doubt yani, we, yani, we have a lot of efforts to make in distancing ourselves from yani, Ashab al-Jaheem, the people of Jahannam and the way that they behave and so on. And inshallah, I hope it gave a lot of food for thought for everybody. That's what Allah made easy for me to mention. Whatever mistakes that I made or errors that I said or translation mistakes or reading mistake or whatever it was, for that's my fault. That's not the religion of Islam. doesn't have anything to do with that. And whatever we got right, that's Allah's blessing and favor. I'll just say one last thing, and that is just to say that Jazakumullahu khayran, ikhwani wallahi, you guys did a really good job well I really did and your questions were excellent you're sitting you sat for long periods of time you were attentive you took notes I was very happy with Allah it's, that's a very good sign and just keep working hard inshallah ta'ala and uh, يعني, you, you'll get where you want to be and if you work hard you'll get there